Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. And tonight we are reviewing all of the action from round 21 of the A-League men. And I'm joined by Antonis Pagonis, Cody Ajada, Matt Olsen. Um, first of all, anyone take over here, boys? How are we feeling? How do we uh, how do we feel about the football this week? Um, because a lot of interesting storylines um, coming out of the results this weekend. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I could say I was personally at the Sydney Derby. Um, sat with the Sydney FC fans this time. Last time I was sitting around with the Wanderers fans. Very happy time um, in the first round or the first Sydney Derby of the season. This time, uh, not so good vibes around me. No, definitely not. And we're going to get into that a little <laughs> bit uh, later. Sydney FC, 4-0 loss at home in the Derby. Uh, still, it, I mean, when you think when you think about how the game went, uh, you know, a day later, like you understand it, but it's still kind of um, just just how successful they've been to lose a game that of that magnitude four nil still doesn't quite sit right. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, should we should we start there or should we start Antonis with Adelaide or I I think I think we should start with the derby. Um, Cody, did you want to say something? Look, um, at least from my point of view. We've probably had questions around how the Wanderers do going forward this season. Definitely, um, especially with how Krupic was playing. Uh, definitely a lot of questions about how they're attacking, who's going to score the goals for them. And obviously, since Emborello's really come into that kind of false nine center forward role that he's playing, scoring a lot of goals himself. But Layuni, I think we that's probably the starting point. We've got to talk about him. He is absolutely fantastic. I don't think I've seen someone especially in the Wanderers, who's actually had an impact like that on their front line. And I was going to tweet this yesterday during the, or not during the game, after the game, but I'm glad I didn't because I do want to say it now. And I'm going to go full rare Ferdinand at the moment. And Christian, please note down when this is said and clip this because I'd be getting the paper out, get the designated player contract out, let him write what he wants and give it to him because I'm telling you now, it's, it is a perfect player for how Wanderers play. And I don't think that there is any better options. It's the fact that he's on loan, we get him in permanently because he's not just a joy for the Wanderers. He's going to be a joy for everyone to watch. So whatever he wants, obviously, as long as it's within whatever you can offer a designated player, give it to him. I want to see more of him. It's a phrase that always ages very well, isn't it? So I don't know about that. I can't wait until like two years' time when he turns out to be like a flop after this six months and you guys bring this back and go, see, maybe we shouldn't have offered him that much. But you know what? In this present moment, after that derby game, give it to him. And it's certainly a way a player that the Wanderers would like to keep. But I reckon if a bigger fish shows up, I think the Wanderers are the club that does tend to go after those bigger fish. For me, what stood out was. Again, who did the damage against Sydney FC? Because you've got Milos Ninkovic just walking back in there, providing a couple of assists. And then you've got their own product, their own youth academy product, Neuenhoff, that they've said, okay, we'd like to keep you, but not as much. He goes across the road or across the city, signs for the Wanderers, and scores an absolute banger in a 4-0 win. So, you know, the only way this could have gone worse is if, the Wanderers got a penalty and Milos Ninkovic put it in the top corner. So this was the perfect night for the Wanderers. Twice in a season, they beat their rivals at the new home. And Sydney didn't want the new home to be open like the Wanderers in mediocrity. And it's exactly what's happened. And I'm sure they're hating it right now. All right. So it looks like we're starting with the derby then. Um, that that answers that question. Um, it's... I just feel like it's one of those, it's, you know, it's one of those moments in a season where 
one team we we finally know now that Sydney FC are a disaster, right? It, that was almost like a confirmation, and and it was also on the other end a confirmation that the Wanderers are actually serious and they are not just a top two contender but a championship threat. And I think that's that's apparent, and we'll talk about Adelaide in a moment because that they're also in that conversation now, and just it's it's not just it's Leuni of course who Cody you mentioned I think it was a great point that you brought up in quite a hilarious fashion um but it's it's also Borello and his whole rejuvenation um it's even even to an extent and look I'm not his biggest fan I don't think everyone is his biggest fan but but even Rudin you know his kind of mini rejuvenation from a managerial standpoint and how he's you know now galvanized this team um and and Marcelo at the back and, and what a leader he's been and just all these sorts of characters that are playing a part. And of course, like Antonis mentioned, that the 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 most sour part of it from a Sydney perspective is that the 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 key contributors, particularly last night, um, are are guys who who left them uh and decided that their careers were better at the Wanderers, um, their most hated rival. And that is just that must just be a massive, massive blow if you're a Sydney FC fan. I think it's safe to say Milos Ninkovic really loves playing at Allianz Stadium, doesn't he? As much as it's not his home anymore, that's still a happy hunting ground for him. We saw it in the first up. You guys got to actually see it firsthand. And I really hope you guys do enjoy that game. But I'll tell you what, last night, a little bit better in terms of the on-field product. But um, you mentioned Rudin. He's rec- I think his recruitment's probably been spot on. Obviously, maybe besides the Krupic signing, everything else has been pretty spot on, exactly what the Wanderers need and suits his style of play. and even. As much as Krupic wasn't what he was looking for, he's made up for that with the Leone signing coming in now. So I don't know if this was the confirmation of, to say that Wanderers are now a serious team. I think we've seen that all season. They've been fantastic, especially defensively. They did have a bit of a lull period after the World Cup, yeah, but I, I don't think you can say that they weren't a serious team still. They're still in and around the top four. I think this is just more a confirmation to say, hey, we're not out of that top two battle yet and they're, going to make a good push for it going into this going into the latter stage of the, of the season. Um, Sydney FC, on the other hand, it's amazing how we say they're in this dark period, and I've heard people say that this is the darkest day in the club's history. When they're still in the top six, I think a lot of people are forgetting that fact. They are still te- technically in a final spot. And I, like, I see you shaking your head, Christian, because I know you disagree with me. And I will say, like I'm just saying, factually, they are in the top six. Every, you take that part out of the equation, they're still a disaster. I'll, I'll say that. But we're in this much of a panic mode about them when they're technically still in the final spot. Whether that's the case in a couple of rounds, we don't know. But right now, there is still something to fight for, at least. Um, I just want to come in here and speak about um, Rudan first because he has, you, know, you can say many things about him, but he's doing a job and it all goes down to identity. The Wanderers, when they began, they molded their identity under Tony Popovich. He left and that identity left with him. And they haven't had that since now that Rudin came in. Very strong character suits what they do. It works. For them, okay, again, they're very defensive. Now they're starting to find Golden Clay Uni. The challenge is now, can you maintain that character in the future seasons, throughout this season? And eventually when Rudin leaves, what are you? That's the question. And that's what Sydney needs to answer now too because we talk about them being in the final spot. But the only reason they're six is because no one else can string two games together below them. And if you told Sydney FC fans a few years ago 
if Sarayev is still in the six, that would not be the standard they want to judge themselves by. And you can see their fans do not want to be just in the six. I am sure many of them will tell you they'd rather not be there in the first place and they wouldn't want to get embarrassed. So, you know, for me, it feels like the only thing that keeps Korika in the job right now is that they are six, not by skill, by default. It feels like an absolute crisis. And for some clubs, it wouldn't be a crisis, it would be a celebration being six. But Sydney is not used to being the also Rams in this conversation. They're used to being the club. And they've got a new stadium. They need to sell seats. People will not keep coming back to watch this. The novelty wears out, you know. And we'll see how long that lasts. Time will tell. Cody, with respect, this is a Sydney team which is serially underperforming. And Steve Corrigan deserves all the criticism that's coming his way. Oh, I mean, the, I never the, said he was devoid of criticism. I'm just yeah. saying, like, there's obvious, like, they, were, they didn't, they missed out on finals completely last year. It's still an improvement from that. Is it still a crisis? Yes. I'm just saying it's funny how they're, they're in this situation when yeah, but they, are, if they are on a final spot. I just find that quite funny. And uh, you no, said I was being funny before. I'm here for comedic relief, Christian. I know you are, and you're here for the optimism, uh, which I swiftly, swiftly uh, take down with my with my natural pessimism. But just it's like yin and yang, it is, it is. But with you can't like you made a point there. You know, oh, last year they finished eighth. This year they're sixth. Like that's not what you do if you're Sydney FC. You go last year we finished eighth. That's trash. We need to be in the top two this year. You don't compare. I think to a to a shit season. No, I'm just saying year. like there has been that slight improvement, but. You're, uh, we're here. On, we're agreeing on the same point. We've just got different ways of saying it. You're saying it very blunt how it is. I may be putting a bit of a positive spin on it because I'm a happy-go-lucky person, but we both agree it's still no, shit. Where, where I'm coming from, where I'm coming from is, I think you can reboot the team in the summer. You can bring in new foreigners. The bottom line is, Steve Corriger for me is not a good enough manager for this football club. Oh yeah, and yeah, 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 and one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's becoming apparently clear. I think, and and I felt this at the time that he very much relied on a squad which still had the how do I explain had the uh, the learnings and the making of of Graham Arnold's imprint on it, and he relied on that in that kind of first year. Um, and and Matt can tell us better uh, better than better than I will, but I think Perth Glory were by far the, the better team that year, of course, that was the grand final. And that's probably just a, a product of having a final series that Sydney FC won that championship, in my opinion. And now he's he, look, he's tried some some different things formation wise this season, but I think it's clear that he does not have the the repertoire as a manager to get the best out of out of a playing group of this quality. Um they are dull. They do not have any sort of ruthless cutting edge that they had under the under the Graham Arnold era and regime of things. And you saw Western Sydney on the other hand, I mean they were ruthless. They they were ruthless. And that actually going back to my initial point around them kind of, you know, that now now I think they're a serious kind of championship contender because I don't think they've had that ruthless edge all season. Not not in the same way. Uh and and last uh last night was really kind of eye opening where Wow, like they could really get five or six here if they really wanted to just kind of rub it in. Um, and definitely for a Marco Rudin team to be like that was was a bit of a surprise too. Because as Antonis mentioned, you know, he is naturally defensive in nature. And maybe on another day they would have settled for just a two-nil or something uh, and take the points and 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 be done with it. But um, yeah, that was that was ruthless and and utterly clinical. 
Look, I've, I've said, and good evening to all the listeners. I'm chiming in for the first time tonight. Took um, a while there, buddy. Hope, yeah, look, look, I hope everyone's well. Um, let me say that much. Um, I'm also having a few technical difficulties and seeing things. And yeah, yeah. So, um, look, to, to actually get to the crux of this argument, I, I think you have to really take the Antonis and Christian argument here, right? Because in if you were to combine the sort of the mold and the character of who Sydney FC are and what their identity is, whether it be through the guidance of Graham Arnold and whether it be through, uh, you know, even, even people like Ufuk Tele when they had some kind of brand on the team as the assistant coach and the whole Stephen Corrigan mold of who and what this club is. Uh, not in their sort of darkest of nightmares would they have had a night anywhere near like this, let alone to, to the Wanderers, right? And it's it's a real it's it's a real spark, for lack of a better term, because it's the opposite of something that's positive, right? But it's it's just this inherent sort of point where they really are reaching the end of that era, and they just need to let go of it. They they simply need to. I've already said it like four or five times this season. Just reset. Just find something different. Um, keeping that man, as much as, as Stephen Corica is everything about Sydney FC and their culture and their identity, that's great. But the, the club really just needs to move on. And, um, you know, like this weekend is is in every way the inherent sort of basis for the fact that those things need to change. So really, Cody, I understand where you're coming from in the, in the statistical and analytical sense of, yeah, okay, well, they're, they're meeting the metrics for being a team that could possibly get to a semifinal or they've had some kind of positive spin in terms of the players that have been there in terms of that group not falling all the way back and having this really big fall from grace. If that's, I mean, if that's even the angle you want to take from it, maybe you need to articulate the exact point on this a little bit better. But but, but I think to put the positive spin is just inherently wrong. Um, I just, I'm very glad you brought this up, Matt, because I just want to talk about Sydney FC's identity a bit more because it completely confused me um, in the preseason when after the end of last season, I think we all felt, okay, they're going to try and change something here. And then, okay, they keep Koroka 50-50, probably move on from him. But then they announced Alex Wilkinson as a new captain and they announced Alex Wilkinson will lead us into our new era. And my reaction was, what, the 38-year-old? It's like, what new era? This is your old era with a new mask on, you know? If you are to move on, you have to do it properly. And it feels like Sydney doesn't really know what it wants to be. I think, I think they just don't want to admit that at the end of this line, they need to restart. And as we've seen with Melbourne Victory as well, when you refuse to take a sustainable approach, play your young players, be realistic with your list, be more selective with who you bring in. It falls apart. It falls apart. It falls apart very ugly for clubs that we are used to be seeing lifting trophies. The clubs that we used to see set the standard no longer set the standard because the way they're run in this league is just not very sustainable. Can we can we talk about that? Because this this whole Adrian Segacic thing as well, I think is a really important you know, um, point, you know, part of this whole Steve Corriger thing. He was asked about Segacic's omission after the game. And actually halfway through, I think it was Vince Regari asked him the question, almost like halfway through as Regari was asking the question, Corriger was like, no, like, you know, he wasn't in, he wasn't the play, almost like just completely dismissive of it. Now, 
he, obviously the reason the reasons that he had and some of it's probably valid that he'd come back from his Bekistan with the young Socceroos and this, that and the other. But this continued, um, you know, lack of trust in, in young players. And Sydney FC's youth team, they're good as well. They've got good young players. Um, that, that's the other thing, right? Um, and and Atonis mentioned them and maybe this is for another pod, but the whole how clubs need to run as well. And we've seen it with Melbourne Victory this season as well. And they just kind of doubled down in January as well with, with their whole with their whole way of doing things as well. Um, but now we're seeing these clubs actually getting punished for a results point of view for, for taking this approach. And I think, to be honest, I think it's good because um, Segacic should be playing at least, he should be at least getting 30 minutes off a bench every game uh, at the absolute minimum. Um, you know, and that... You know, we, we already discussed the young soccer stuff, but that these performances there were really eye-opening for me. And I think that the problem that Korg has got now is that when you don't get results, all of these other things, all of these other, you know, little minor issues that are always around the place. And Sydney FC fans, I'm sure they'll say as well, you know, they would have liked, even under the successful days, they would have liked to see more young players, but they didn't care that much because at the end of the day, you're winning trophies, right? But now you care. And now you're thinking, well, what, you know, what the hell what the hell are you doing, right? Because now you're bringing in foreign players who aren't doing anything, right? And now you're not even giving youth a chance. So, you know, what are we doing here, right? Um, and that's that's the question that they really need to ask themselves. And it's, it's not just, not just, just the fact that Tegatrich hasn't been playing as much as it is when you look at sort of the, the younger players that Sydney FC have brought in the past, and you particularly look at the predicament that's in front of someone like Segacic, what is to stop him from becoming the next Callum Neuenhoff and just going off to the Wanderers or going off to a, another club and being an incredibly fruitful and economic player for them? What, what, what's actually going to stop that from happening? Because at the moment, there's no evidence in the way to suggest that someone like Adrian won't play his trade for another club and won't be that player to make incredible strides. I mean, look at look at these guys like Aidan O'Neill, you know, and, and and Jordan Boss and all these guys that are getting selected for the Socceroos directly from the A-League, Nestoria and Kondo, if you want to go that far. You know, Adrian Sikicic is that mold of a player. And so, you know, from, from, from his perspective, why wouldn't you want to move? But more importantly, from a Sydney FC perspective, why wouldn't you want someone like that in the team? So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's actually mind-boggling in many aspects. Let's talk about this because now... A lot of Sydney FC fans I saw after the game when when everyone and all the Wanderers fans and and obviously Simon Hill copped like a little bit of backlash I noticed for what he said when Newenoff scored and he said you know to quote Graham Arnold you know you didn't want him uh, which goes back to something Graham Arnold said when when Matt Simon scored against the Mariners a few years back um, but the, the reality is Sydney FC fans can defend the club all they want on like the Newenoff decision and oh no he rejected off from the club and this that and the other the reality is that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't take away from the fact that you don't give young players an opportunity and your club should get criticized for that. That, you know, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't uh, debunk that argument. It doesn't debunk that argument, you know? And the, the thing as well, just big picture, you know, you could argue that this whole thing with, and clearly now, you know, Sydney is becoming red and black, you know, that this is, it's, it's obviously already is right now, you know, after, after, after after that result, um, and it is right now at least. I'm not I'm not saying you know I'm not saying it's going to be for the long term necessarily, but definitely this season it is. That's that's the reality. And the thing that you have to look at is just Ninkovic in general. His move to the Wanderers probably started this whole thing, you know. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I just think that there's a lot of there's a lot of key moments in this whole rivalry that have actually played out this season. And it's all led to this big result on uh, on Saturday. 
Hey, look, the secretary talk argument is very interesting. And I was even talking to a couple of senior teammates last night, and they said the difference between when Arnold was there and he was winning trophies was, yeah, young players weren't getting a chance, but he had the players in front of him that were getting the results that Sydney FC expect. You're not getting the results that Sydney FC expect now. Why not give the young kids a chance? You, I didn't, like you said it yourself, they got they got quality players in that area of the team. Why not give them a run? They were down 2-0 at halftime. I said, the first thing I said to the um, guy that I was with, bring Kucharski on, bring Sekicic on. You've got nothing to lose. Your season is pretty much on the line. Give him 45 minutes. Just tell him to run havoc. havoc. They did it with Kucharski. Sekicic is just as good, if not better. Give him a go. We spoke about the under-20s um, last week, and Sekicic was probably the best player for the young soccerers in that tournament. You go back to even the qualifying stage um, to qualify for the Asian Cup. Sekicic was probably our best player was the one getting a lot of our goals in those games as well. The the fact is, this is a one of the best talents we have in Australia. And the only reason why he's not getting that same hype as your Quals, your Aaron Kunders, and maybe some of the other ones is he's just not getting the game time to show what he can do at a senior level. You give him that game time. You drop Sekicic into almost any other club in the A-League right now. And I'm not saying he will kill it. I'm not saying he will walk into any team. But you give him the opportunity, and he will show you why he's one of the why he would be one of the young talents that we should be excited about in this country. And I'd put this to you guys as well. Like, obviously, you both think from Adelaide. Would you take him in that squad? Yes. Yes, exactly. You would, without a doubt, because he's that good a player. So how is Sydney FC when they're borderline making finals? And I use that very loosely because it's going to take one result. Like I'm saying, yeah, it's okay. They're, they're um in a final position. They're also six points from the wooden spoon. So... The, the only reason why they're in finals, as you said, Christian, they're, they're, it's just because the other teams below can't get a, a consistent run of games. And you've got this kid on the bench who can be a, a bright spark for you guys and a positive spark for, for your club. And you're not using him. You give him seven minutes off the bench in the derby in a game that you're losing 4-0. He comes on. He's one of your biggest attacking threats, even in that seven minutes. He created more in that seven minutes than what some of those senior guys did all game. And the fact that he's not getting more chance, you watch, they'll go next week. It'll be the same shit. He'll come on the bench last 10 minutes. They might lose again, and it's going to be the same question. We're going to come on here on a Sunday night and ask the same thing because for some reason, they're not learning from their mistakes, and that is not good enough. And I want to go on that learning from your mistakes thing because that leads very perfectly to what I want to say. I want to talk about two soccerers that got selected for the World Cup squad, ironically by Graham Arnold, because they were under him at Sydney FC. But I want to talk about Marco Tillio and Cami Devlin, because the only reason Cami Devlin ended up in New Zealand was he wasn't getting minutes at Sydney FC. The only reason Marco Tillio ended up in Melbourne City, not getting minutes at Sydney FC. But wins paper over those issues. Okay? And very happy for these guys. They've gone and made a good career for themselves. But like you said, learning from your mistakes. And Sydney has talents like Adrian Segesic. They've got talents like Jen Kucharski. And they start two left-backs. Two left-backs. Like, what planet are you living on? I'm sorry. In what world does um, Diego Caballo, who's a great player, how does he have more upside than one of your own young players that tomorrow you can sell for money and actually reinvest in your squad? You know, and forget that. I think Adrian Segesic could do a much better attacking job than Diego Caballo can on the wing. So it's absolutely no learning from your mistakes. The only difference now is that the results are not going their way. 
and we can we we get to talk about it without being smashed about it because they're not getting the result. But this has been a problem for a while. It is the problem with a lot of these big clubs, and you just have to realize where you are on the food chain of world football. You're at the bottom. Act that way to survive. You know the deer doesn't go challenging lions in the world in the animal world because it's realistic. It needs to understand how to survive, and to survive in the bottom of the food chain, you need to act accordingly. Like clubs like the Central Coast, like Adelaide Run. It's common sense. I'm sorry if if some of these clubs can't see it. It's real short-term thinking, and some are getting punished. And like Christian told us before, I'm very glad they are, and I hope it continues. Uh, also, Animal Kingdom um, is is probably what it's more known as. Yeah, um, I was too into my rant to get any of that in. But yeah, I was just going to say, like, the African sorry, Sahara sorry. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I love Antonis's. He always uses that food chain analogy, which I actually think is a, it's a great analogy. But um, also, like, I'm just looking at the starting 11 again. You know, with respect to guys like James Donerkey and Paolo Retre, like, I just don't think these sorts of players should be starting for a team that's supposed to be challenging for a championship. Like, and don't get me wrong. You know, uh, Donerkey is different. Retre, you know, he's had some good moments. You know, he, he can put a good run of games together, but that's, you know, he's not Luke Brand. He's not Luke Brand. That that's it's a different caliber of player that we're talking about here. And and it was I just found it funny where like Donerkey um and, and Corrigal was asked about, you know, Donerkey's injury after the game. You know, of course that's that's usual team injury news and stuff, but it's just kind of like, okay, James Donerkey went off injured. Like, you know, I don't think it's a massive sort of, oh my God, you know, they're <laughs> they're gonna be like, you know, handicapped now because James Donerkey's gone off with with all due respect, you know. Um they and and you're just thinking like why not give um why not give Aaron Gerd those minutes instead, for example, you know that that that's one again. Even you know they take off Joel King at halftime, you know like what what message does that send to Joel King? You know he's been brought back on a loan deal, and yet when when things go wrong like this, he's the one who's taken off and dragged for for Diego Caballo to go a left back, um and and to reshuffle like that. I mean it's just just it's, it's constant doubling down on the same thing, and they're getting nowhere. Well, look, in all honesty, I don't think Joel King's probably had the best of times since coming back as well. I don't think he's been as crash hot as what he was when he first started. Like, you talk about starting two left backs. In that regard, you're starting two left backs that exactly aren't exactly playing well. Diego Caballo is not setting the league on fire either. And if I've got to pick the lesser two evils, I'm probably going with the young Australian who, at the very least, even if he's underperforming now, you're giving him that experience where he can still develop into a better player. Like, oh, this isn't a criticism to say Joel King's not a poor footballer. He's, he's a good footballer. He's just not in the best stage of his career right now. You've got to remember, this is a guy that went to the World Cup for us. So there's clearly something there. But the fact that Diego Caballo, who is meant to have a much more positive impact on Sydney FC's team, he's taking up a visa spot. So he's not going to be on small wages on top of that either. And he's probably been average at best. And he's not only taking minutes away from Sekicic, but is now taking minutes away from from Joel King. So there's there's a lot of questions to be asked there. And yeah, that's that's all that's was, all I can say. Was anyone that. else was anyone else uh, swayed by the uh, keep up fluff piece on um Derek Caballo during the week? How he's um been on been with Real Madrid and been He's been with Real Madrid, man. Come on. That's you know he's been with some serious caliber here. I'm old enough to remember Miguel Palanca signing for Adelaide United and the big piece was he was on the bench at the El Clasico. So we've seen this stuff before. I just want to say that 
bring foreign players in, but bring the ones you need in. You know, if you know there's a possibility that you might sign a Socceroos left back in the youth of his career, it's probably not the time to bring in a mid-30s Spaniard at the same position, you know? And we see this with a lot of clubs, just bringing in a player because they were available and not because they need him. And that, what happens then is you're blocking a pathway for a player. With Adrian Segetic, you've got a very capable winger and you've got two international wingers now blocking his path. Am I surprised he's not starting? No. Am I surprised that the club didn't think about one of the best prospects in years when they signed their players? Again, no. But why should I be surprised? It's the same story repeated over and over again. City make the six? Everyone thinks they're going to retain six? Only because no one else can put two games together. What does that say about... Sorry, what does that say about the league this year? Let's briefly talk about this because we're going to have one team in the six who shouldn't be there, whether it's Sydney or whether it's someone else. And and then we've got five teams who um, are, are good teams and some who have had long patches of being very good and then followed by some brief patches where they've been where they've been poor. I mean, Adelaide were very inconsistent for most of the season and now all of a sudden it's kind of coming together. So what does it say about the league where we kind of got an exclusive club at the top who are, who are good, and then there's really seven teams that are kind of a mess. I think it's There's more to elaborate on that. Uh, can I just, I'll just put my two cents in and I'll let you go. But I think clubs like Adelaide, clubs like Central Coast, have made what they've made themselves. They haven't thrown money at something to make it work. What they've done, they've made it themselves. So if Adelaide and the Central Coast can do it, there's no reason these clubs right there that cannot string results together can do it either. You'll find with each and every club, there's a reason poor management, um, instability somewhere, that there's a reason behind it. So it is very poor. Again, the football by some of these clubs is not great. There's many things that are coming together for this poor results in the bottom half of the table. And I agree with you. I don't think any of the top five clubs would be really concerned about coming up with whoever finishes sixth, to be honest with you. And that's a big problem for the finals because for me, whoever finishes in that spot that takes gets to play sixth, I feel they're pretty confident going into it. It's a manifestation, just on that point, Antonis, it's a manifestation of a few different things, mostly in a post-COVID world because during during the COVID period, the, the A-League was one of sort of, I think, three or four leagues where they'd actually played their under-21 players for, for you know, an X amount of minutes per, per game and managed to have at least four or five under-21 players sprinkled around the bulk of the squad, even, even if they were starting on the bench, right? And the two clubs who were best suited to that type of recruitment and that type of internal, um, you know, basis for having those players around were the Mariners in Adelaide. So they stuck with that philosophy going forward, whereas every other club has essentially had to reset and rebuild in that time. And that's not necessarily because they didn't have the the youth prospects it's more a case of they were genuinely just going through a rebuilding period and that sort of laid the foundations for Adelaide and the Mariners to do well it also explains why the rest of the table particularly that bottom six is struggling so earnestly with 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 trying to get things together and get them in place because they've had all types of COVID disruptions I mean Obviously, you know, Wellington and Perth weren't always going to be in the most stable position because they constantly had those interruptions of not having as much money in the bank because they weren't playing their home fixtures and so on and so forth. And then, you know, further with that, I mean, no clubs really got through the period okay, but 
there was more rebuilding because things on the pitch weren't ever really stable from season to season. And they never really are in the A-League because of the the player recycling and, and because it is a cap league and, and all these kinds of things. So I think there is a very good reason to as to why we're in the position that we're in right now. But the one thing I would say to it is, you know, we, we sit here and we pull the red flags out and say it's doomsday for this club or, you know, this club performed particularly poorly in this one in this one circumstance. But the only reason for that is, you know, again, and I'm just saying this in, in a broader picture, I think that it's also very much the dynamics of the league at play that we're in this situation. So there's probably a broader conversation to have there. But in the case of Adelaide becoming really good, I think that they've fortuitously benefited because of how they're set up. And there's a, there's a big thing to say about that um, for clubs in that position. And I totally agree with you. And it goes back to my point that that's how you should be set up here. And I think clubs should learn from that and see, you know what? It's working for these guys. And you know what? If Central Coast, who I'm not saying it's doomsday for anyone in the league right now, but a very short time ago, it felt like doomsday for the Central Coast. And look at them now. They are one of the more sustainable clubs despite their tight purse. And, you know, it is possible for any club to do it if the Central Coast get out of that position. And I agree with you that Central Coast and Adelaide benefited from that, and even Wellington, who, like we said, hadn't played at home for a few years, they're one of the clubs in the top six. Um, I think it's possible for all clubs to take a more realistic approach with the part of the world they play in, with what needs to be done, and use these clubs like Adelaide, use these clubs like um, the Central Coast, like an example. And I'll talk about Adelaide and specifically Adelaide's bench a bit later on when we talk about Adelaide, but it's possible, you know, and that's why they find themselves where they are. Matt, if I if I could counter one of the things you said there, I mean, the thing is though, Adelaide and the Mariners were one, were probably two of the teams that were severely affected by COVID, and look at them now. So I don't, you know, because and I know what you're saying because they had the they had the structures in place to maybe deal with it better, but I guess that's kind of our point. I mean, any A League club can have the structures, the same structure in place to deal with it better, and and clubs are not choosing to do that, and now it's and now it's to their detriment. Well, if you if you want me to get really really big picture with this, and especially because the soccer brews, uh, but you know, and and even the the female programs as well are, are are on the rise. My question would be: Is this finally the Australian football identity? Is this the national curriculum actually binding itself in place? Is it? Is it? Is I it think so. Setting up the youth really academies and setting yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that and I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. I think you know. Um, yeah, it, it, it definitely is. I think you need to give youth a go. I think, look, we've been banging on about this stuff for years um, and, and not just not just us here, you know, other people have as well. And it, it does baffle me that that a club with the resources of Sydney FC or Melbourne Victory, you know, can't realise that this is actually better for them in the long run. And, and that's that's kind of um, bizarre. Okay. And I know we're going on a bit of a tangent. So I'll bring this, relating this back to the Wanderers though, if I want to say one thing and then turn it to then I'll throw it to you, is that, the Wanderers, and I felt this in preseason, is that they actually found a good mix where they actually brought in good foreigners, ones that I think it seemed like, particularly Marcelo was one, I just got the feeling when he signed that you kind of knew he was going to be a short thing. He was going to be good. He was going to be that leader at the back that they were going to have. And then they, they brought in the likes of Michella, Claire, these kind of Aussies um, from, from overseas who who they knew were kind of buying into Rudin. So they did well from that perspective. But then it's the new and offs, you know, and and these these younger guys as well who are who are having contributions, um, which kind of makes it a really, really perfect kind of um, season in terms of recruitment. I think from a, from a Wanderers point of view. 
And just finally for me, I forgot to mention my point before, that there is no reason why Adelaide should be producing more than the states like New South Wales and Victoria. So once again, if it's possible for little old Adelaide to produce that with its population, it's more than possible in those states. You just need to have it. And like you mentioned before, Christian, Sydney's MPL team is more than capable of producing players for this level. And that's that from me. Yeah, and if I could just add something else uh, to what you said before, Antonis, is that if I'm, I know, I know this is now this is race for top two, maybe even with with City's draw tonight, there's a race for for the Premiership. But would you even, would you even actually want to tank and get third because you actually want to, you know, set yourself up nicely for this for the uh, for the semi final? Because I think you're right. I think whoever's going to finish in that third spot without being, you know, um, uh, going in complacent. I think they're definitely going to win that first game against whoever finishes sixth. Well, you're now racing for the home ground advance for the grand final, so why not? Always got to have one of those. Always got to have one of those jokes on the pod. Um, Cody, you want to add something? I just think uh, there's just one funny aspect of all of this because we're talking about the team that comes third. It's going to have a pretty easy draw with the team that comes sixth, and for the most part, it probably will be the case. But just imagine, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but just imagine it is a city derby semi final in that regard. Wanderers are hosting it. Wanderers are meant to have the easy draw. They get Sydney FC. And what if the occasion gets too big for them? It's 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 a very unlikely scenario, but one that could possibly happen and I think would be quite funny for some people if well, it did. Yeah, well, when they face again, now Sydney have got a chip on their shoulder, so that makes the next derby interesting exactly. for sure. So, exactly. so you're but right then there. It, that obviously goes out the window if, say, West United end up back in the top six or something like that. It would be funny if West United did actually, considering how their season's panned out. But you know, you West know what United be funnier? the likes. You know what would be even funnier? If Sydney finished six and they just like they, they just kind of string a good like two weeks together for the finals and they actually end up hosting the grand final. Uh, or, well, <laughs> well, well, hosting in, you know, in oh, uh, Twitter would go into meltdown. Oh, it's Twitter okay because. Whoever finished high gets to pick which side they want to sit in or something. Oh, I guess Sydney won't get their change rooms. Oh no, that would that would probably yeah, affect that the uh, them. yeah the pre-match <laughs> preparations. Um, so so yeah, you know that's 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 pretty important. All right, let's. Uh, I, I'm cautious that uh, we've been talking about the derby for a while, so let's pivot a little bit to uh, to Adelaide because um, I want to talk about talk about them for a bit because there's a really good vibe around this team now, and there's a real kind of dark horse championship um vibe in particular i think everyone not just here where i am and Antonis is an essay but also around australia is starting to see that this team is is really good on its day um i'm going to throw this question out there right now can adelaide win the championship and more to the point what's what's the likelihood of adelaide united winning the championship this year uh, I'd, I'd say pretty i don't want to say pretty high because city is this juggernaut that just seems to on most days, except for maybe the last couple of weeks, just sweep whatever comes in front of them. But you, I wouldn't want to bet against Adelaide right now. If I was a betting man, I would not be. I wouldn't. I'd. I'd be staying away from that because they they look scarily good, especially going forward. And I'm sure you guys are going to have more of an answer to this in how they're going at the back because, yeah, it might still look shaky in some parts. Um, full credit to Gauchi for getting a uh, call up to the Socceroos, but I think the last couple of weeks maybe hasn't been at his best. But I I wouldn't want to face this wonder uh, not wonders we've spoken enough about the wonders I wouldn't want to face this Adelaide side at the moment they, they they are looking scarily good and when you've got a player like Goodwin who is in the form of his life playing the way he is then you've got Aaron Kunda to come off the bench playing the way that he is and then you've got two strikers who can find the back of the net and Ibusuki and Jovanovic 
playing the way that they are. Dorigo hitting form, some of the best football I've seen from him. It, it, there's quality going forward all around the pitch. And it's a scary proposition for going, especially going into finals, especially at this stage of the season. And um, I agree with you. The city is an absolute juggernaut. They're not at the best right now. But the last time that Melbourne City beat Adelaide United in normal times was not this season, not last season, the season before. Last season, the only time Adelaide United lost Melbourne City was after extra time in the second leg of that semi-final. So Adelaide United makes life hard for Melbourne City. Um, in the post-match press conference with Carl Viet, um, he mentioned that we attack City. Um, unlike other sides that sit back and find it hard to contain them, like we saw MacArthur nearly die by the sword, by, not the sword, the shield tonight. Adelaide is not scared. They'd rather win like 4-3 than 1-0. You know, we've seen it. It's not always sustainable, but against Melbourne City, it works. You know, they've got the track record to show for it. And one point about Adelaide United, the injury to Juan Day a couple of months ago, ironically against Melbourne City, was an awful injury. You'd never like to see that. But I think it actually has had a positive effect in how Adelaide is playing because, in all honesty, that injury has coincided with Isaias's best form since he returned to Adelaide United. He's been absolutely phenomenal this past month. And the big reason is because it's just a midfield combination when the two Spaniards who are very similar do not get in each other's way. So, again, we see something similar with Luka Jovanovic getting a chance over Ibusuki fits Adelaide United's pressing game a lot better. Things are just falling into place that we didn't expect to go that way. And it's led to 10 wins in a row and 20 goals in the last six games. So it's a real good time to be a supporter of South Australian football right now. So um, I'd like to apologise to Carl Viet. Um, I'd like to apologise to Louis Dariga as well. Um, just a couple of apologies. Um, actually, more, more, more Dorigo, more Dorigo. Um, no, actually, I apologise to Carl for his use of Dorigo. That just for that part, just for that part only, because I've still got some concerns about. There's one thing I want to discuss in a second. And Tony makes a good point, and it sucks when we have to do this as kind of analysts and and mention it around when we talk about an injury actually benefiting a team. But you know, because it is such a horrible injury. But I really do think it's. There's no coincidence that Adelaide have been a better team since one day has gone out. And it's nothing against one day actually individually as a player and his quality. It's more around the setup. And more to the point, Dorigo is actually seriously understanding what he needs to do in that role now. He really is like coming on leaps and bounds. You know, he's he's making these runs now in behind um, from, from a deeper position, which is something, you know, two years ago, you would have never seen him done before. And now he's doing it and it's helping them just create overloads out wide and they've got numbers in the box and they just look they just look so exciting going forward all the time my concern is a is this a purple patch and could it just kind of once they stop taking their chances it just kind of goes back and reverts to the mean there's that my other thing is and i know ibisuki came off the bench and he scored but i think that similar to what we just mentioned with one day i think he actually holds this team back a lot uh offensively to be honest and i think that Luki Ivanovic, I would seriously, I would ride with him to the rest of the season. I, I really would. Like, 
you know, he's in form. The kid plays with no fear. Like Antonio says, he suits the pressing game more, I think, as well. And I know it's hard because Ibisuki is a foreign player and you've got to give, you know, you've got to give the foreigners minutes if you if you bring him in and stuff. But I just think like they're they're in their best moment of the season. And it's one of the reasons is because this 17-year-old up front is just coming out of nowhere, as usual, with Adelaide youngsters, and he's just performing like an like an absolute jet. Well, let's take the analytical part of it out for a second. You and Antonis, at the crux of it, you're from Adelaide. You want to see this Adelaide United side do well. If you're speaking from a fan's point of view, do you want to see two foreigners in the side because they simply are visa players and they should be getting the minutes? Or would you rather see those younger players who suit the system better and are performing currently, would you rather see them get the minutes and see them take this side somewhere instead? Yeah, you play whoever deserves to play. and that's what's going to lead you forward. And again, with I think that Ibusuki is a lot better than what he has been used for Adelaide United. I just feel like when he's on the pitch, it's very handy when you've got someone who's two meters tall in the box. You just kick along to him and hope for the best. Um, he's much more than that. And But I agree with Luka Jovanovic. He's, as I mentioned, the pressing game suits him better. And also, back to my food chain argument, we complain that we don't produce strikers since Kimi Cahill retired. Why is that the case? Has anyone ever thought about it? Who plays Australian strikers in Australia? Which club? We've got Melbourne City and Jamie McLaren, the Socceroo. We've got Perth brought back Adam Taggart. Who else? How are we expected to create Australian strikers, Socceroo strikers, when our own league doesn't give them chances? It's a problem. Who's going to give them minutes if we don't? So to have a kid like Luka Jovanovic come on two games, two goals, last year in the NPL he scored 12, this year first round in the NPL he scored four, and now he's scored in both A-League appearances, ride with him. Let him play. He's scoring. He's learning. He's in a side that hasn't lost in 10 games. Go with him. Let's see how far he takes you. And Hiroshi Busuki is a very, very handy player to bring off the bench to sling crosses to when you are desperate. And I just want to say one more thing, that our criticism with United, me and Christian, our issue was the aimless crossing. Look at the goals that Adelaide United scored in the last couple of weeks. They do use those wide areas still, but look at the crossing. It's not just kick it up and hope for the best, because you don't have that two-meter guy in there that you are hoping will get to the end of it. They put their head up. They pick someone out. Look at Ibusuki's goal, for example, on the weekend. Low cross to his feet, finish. And another thing, they are not overusing Goodwin. We see actually against, um, on the weekend, they actually use the right side more than the left side, which a few months ago would have been unheard of. You know, you do not need to rely on Craig Goodwin to create magic when you've got a team that actually works well together. And this is what Adelaide is right now. Goodwin can just pinch hit and contribute when needed. It, he's not someone that has to dig Adelaide out of tough situations, and it's made Adelaide a better side. See, I think you compare that to. Sorry, Christian. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I think that um, Ibisu- the problem is that Ibisuki's presence kind of it makes the players around them feel like they have to just whip the ball in all the time. That that's kind of what what I was what I was getting at. But Antonio, you made a good point. 
they're getting into wide areas. It's still the same, but the difference is Dorigo. Honestly, I, I think he is like he's fuck. Excuse my language, but he's really changed. He's really changed the performances. Like he's he, the ball go out to good and out wide, and Dorigo is making runs beyond. He's just getting beyond, and he's getting in the box. And then as soon as they play him in, then you've got runners. You've got cloth coming in. That goal they scored against Newcastle, um, which was is from that, you know, and Goodwin cuts it back, and and then uh, and and there's a finish there by Clough. Um, and then it was similar for it was similar for the um, for the goal uh, with uh, with I'm trying to remember now with uh, with Ivanovic with Ivanovic um, as well uh, not not Ivanovic I'm trying to think now I think it was Ibisuki Ibisuki sorry Ibisuki is the one I'm thinking of uh, where where there was that that same movement where the midfielder breaks and then there's a cutback and Ibisuki taps it in um, and it's just more methodical it's more precise um, and and they just look like when when they start to do that they actually start to get the most out of the different sums of, of the parts that are, that are, you know, that make up the team. And I just want to go back to um, Lou Dorigo, who is adding those strings to his game. Why is that the case? Because it's actually gotten a couple of months of you are going to start and you are going to play that role. And when you do something over and over again, you're going to stuff up, you're going to do well here, you're going to learn. And Lou Dorigo in the last couple of months, since one has been unavailable, he's been given the opportunity to learn that number eight role. He's a professional number six, but he's learning the number eight role. He's learning to coexist with his sires, and it's actually added another string to Adelaide United's attacking bow. And it's making a real difference. And it's because a young player has been given an opportunity to play week in, week out for a couple of months. And look at him. Guess what? He can play football. Who would have thought? And that's the case with many, many players around Australia who are unfortunately not getting those opportunities. So, I mean, it's a point that you made earlier, Antonis, and one that I think is really proficient in terms of the development and sort of the, uh, you know, the, the upbringing in who this Adelaide team are and their identity. You mentioned that they don't have that over-reliance on Goodwin. Now, I can remember even just a few years ago, maybe as far back as 1920, maybe even 2020 to 21, um, they had this really bad knack of always needing Goodwin or Ben Halloran well, that's a to create weeks, a lot of chances going forward. Very, yeah. very recently, even. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think it's it's this combination of moving from that that sort of antithesis of you need these really crucial players in the team to make that mould, and when they don't show up, the team can't show up. And it's changed that with look at this wide variety of people we have around us that can fundamentally always be to be there to create when another player is not showing up in their place. You talk about the likes of Ivanovic, you talk about the likes of Ibasuki, you talk about the likes of Goodman. There is always another name there that can create, that can score, that can be there to provide the presence. And it's something that Adelaide has lacked. My question to you both is, maybe even Cody, if you're interested, how much of this actually is to the credit of Carl Viet and how much of it is more the recruitment and the sort of broader stream of management? I just want to add something because that works very well with what you said. If you look at the bench of Adelaide United the last two weeks, the complete bench, it has one experienced player. From either day, there's been one experienced player. Hiroshi Busuki this week. The rest of it is young players that have been playing in the MPL that have been getting minutes. That all is down to Carl Viert and his coaching team because they are actually creating their own depth. Last year in the semi-final against City, they ran out of legs because those kids were coming up now. 
But these kids over this season have gotten minutes and they've actually become proficient A-League footballers. Footballers that you can bring on and say, you know what? I will back this kid to make an impact this match. And that's something that you can't say with every bench in the A-Leagues. And with a lot of teams, you're like, all right, we need these guys to do the job and we'll get the rest to manage the game. But with Adelaide United, you know, and it's not limited to Rekunda. We focus on Nesta because he comes on and he creates fireworks. There's other guys that can come on and make an impact. I think Johnny Yule can come on and make an impact. Ethan Aligic. You've got Luka Jovanovic was on the bench and has actually now arguably benched Hiroshi Busuki. The list goes on and on and on. Like They've signed Luke Dizel, Jay Barnett. You've got kids of Panash Madana, you know, Bernardo, who we haven't seen. All these guys currently do not get in Adelaide United's starting lineup. They're coming off the bench and they're not, they're not substitutes, they're impactors. They're coming on and making an impact. And that's a complete credit to what Carl Viet and Adelaide United are doing and the way they're moving with that young squad. It's been fantastic, and I'm loving I'm loving it, and I wanted to continue for a long, long time. But but the the club, Matt, to answer your question, the club was was operating like this even before Carl Viet and, and, and before the new owners came in as well. So that, you know, this has been a foundation of, of the way LA United have, 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 have run for a good 12 years now, to be honest. Um, and, and it's really come to light when Hossop Gombau came and then it's now it's done. And I know we're getting so big picture now, we're really going back to then, but you know, that that's what I'm saying. That always had this. Now I think for Carl, it's the fact that um, he obviously was in the FSA setup. So now he it's, it's even more so now he really understands the system even more so. So, so, and I know Matt, you've made that point before around. And when we talked about Warren Moon, for example, in Brisbane, how he understood the system there and, and all this sort of stuff. So like, yeah, I do think, it's it's a bit of both where it's also um it's also Carl's understanding of of the local kind of talent that's there, but also I think the club has been like this for quite a while. And I think that when, you know, Antonis can tell you as well, but and maybe I know fans interstate, they they kind of see it and they go, Oh wow, he's another Adelaide youngster. But to be honest, like I'm actually quite immune to it now. Like I know that when a young guy comes in for Adelaide and makes his debut. I kind of know he's going to be good or he's actually going to be passable as an A-League player straight away. Um, so for me, it's not, it's, it's, it kind of goes both ways. It's, it's the running of the club. And I think also Carl, uh, Carl deserves credit for things like sticking with the Rigo. Like that, that, that is a solely thing that Carl Viet needs credit for. Um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I think if I think it, there was that much of a rant from Antonis that you kind of got lost with the original question. I'm going to phrase it to you again. Because I, I know there have been times this season and broad picture because you, you really do care about the club, right? Despite despite being more of a media type, you, you do care. And there is still the element of being a fan there. You you have criticized Carl Viet a lot. And here's the thing that I'm trying to understand. So I strip back all this about youth development. Here's what I'm saying. Even two, three years ago, when they always needed those one or two focal point players to, to show up, that transition from that to having option A, B, C, D that can always show up and always provide being the real reason that they went from that sort of mid-table club, will they make it, will they not, to being this force that's now second in the league, okay? The youth development play a part, okay? Management structures play a part. But does that responsibility lie solely with Kyle Witt from going from point A to point B? It must, because he's been at the club since, what, 2019? Yeah, 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 yeah. I get what you're saying. I would also say, though, that probably... Like in the Marco Kurtz days, I think 
there was probably an element of if we can actually sell youngsters and get really good and a really good return for them and sell them for a good price and this sort of stuff, we could actually invest it in then actually reinvest that in a team that's closer player for player to Sydney FC, Melbourne Victory and compete like that too. So there's, it's almost like there's just two ways of doing it. You could ride with young players and really trust them and, you know, this, that and the other and, you know, see how far it gets you. Or you could sell high, use the money, reinvest in better quality visa players, essentially, and, and go like that. Now, I'm not sure exactly if I answer your question. I'll be honest. It is a complex question. Um, but, you know, I just, yeah, I, I just... It just it it weirds me sometimes when people act like Adelaide, like, oh, here's another South Australian youngster. It's like, yeah, like you know, this is what this is what South Australia does. This is what Adelaide but United. I'm, again, Christian, Christian, I'm not I'm not talking explicitly about the youth development. So we've got to stop stop getting into the broad pitch. It's so easy to do it. I know, but I'm just saying on the pitch since about 2020. Just yeah. answer the fucking question, dude. <laughs> All right, is Kofi at the reason that they have gone from? point A to point B in terms of we only had X amount of options to look at all this talent now, look at how it's been executed. So solely about the execution of those players and in that situation. Okay. So now I see, yeah, I see what you, I see what your question's a bit more like now. So I think, yeah, I think because it goes back to what I said around a lot of those players came through the FSA system. Yeah. And, and Carl obviously came out of the FSA system as well. So, you know, they want to work with them in a professional environment. So yeah, I think to a point that is true, but I also think, through COVID, Adelaide have also had to rely even more on their young players than what they had in the past, um, too. So they've kind of needed guys to step up here and there even more so uh, than than what is probably usually the case in, in years gone by. And I just want to take an extra step. With I want to go back to what you said about the young players coming through and everyone being surprised about it. Every year under Carl Veard, when the experts predict their ladders for the year that is you see where Adelaide United always lays around the 10th position the only reason that happens is because people think oh okay they'll fall this year but that's the reason that these guys that are coming in are unknowns before this season who knew about Luka Jovanovic before this season who knew okay we know Nesta is a good player who knew he would come on five games straight and score so I think, and again, going back to the big conversation about all clubs, all clubs can do this. All clubs are capable of doing this. And that surprise factor is good for the league because you want to go and see, oh, what are they gonna, who are they going to bring in today? And it benefits everyone. And for anyone that's been to Highmark Stadium when Nestor and Kundas come on or score the goal, they will tell you nothing gets a bigger cheer than a kid, your own kid coming on and making an impact. There's no better feel good. Um, I guess, emotion after the match. You know, it means a lot and it really connects the fans to what the team stands for. And this has been our experience, I guess. I think if I can take Matt's question, just from a purely tactical first-team point of view, obviously the fact that they do have point A, B, C and D is, as you guys said, there's that youth set up where they are able to bring that many quality players into the, into the side while only them being basically early in their careers. But being based outside of South Australia, we've obviously come on here. We've got two hosts from South Australia that do look a lot more into vert system than what maybe other people do. And they're able to pinpoint just minor details where it warrants criticism. But if you're looking at it just from a basic point of view, if I'm looking at it from where I am in New South Wales, I have a lot of people around me that talk about, oh my God, 
Adelaide such a good team to watch. And naturally, when that happens, obviously the coaches get applauded. So it's very interesting to see the different discourse where obviously in South Australia being held to a different regard to what you are outside and when other fans of other teams are watching your are watching your team and how they're seeing it. But I think Vert does, at least in this stage now, with that change that has come with um it was looking maybe coming out of the side that less one dimensional. But Adelaide are an exciting team to watch in this present moment. And it does come from having a youth team behind you that can come into the first side and do well. And Vert's got the best out of that. He's got, as you guys said, uh, plan A, B, C, D, however you want to go about it. But it's genuinely an exciting watch. Yeah, well, my criticisms probably earlier in the season, though, as well, were stylistically they weren't good to watch. And and I thought they were they were boring. I thought they were one of the most boring teams in the league for most of the season. And now all of a sudden it's, it's come together and they're, they're by far one of the most entertaining teams. And that it's just a sudden shift. Um, so that's where I've always come from. And it's more because, and this maybe goes back to something Matt was asking me before a little bit, but it's more because I value style the style of football more than probably a lot of other people you know and that's that's for me it's always been like a paramount sort of thing and i just want to go back because if you pick a random game from this month to watch adelaide United and pick a random game from the first couple of months of the season you'll see the difference the criticisms were there for a reason and it wasn't just results weren't happening it was just like it wasn't it wasn't looking likely and it's changed, and that's all credit to the coach, you know. Um, to have a month where you score basically 20 goals, to come from the start of the season where you were crossing and hoping, it's come a long way. But, yeah, as you mentioned, us being here, we do kind of hold our teams to different standards. We know small things. And being the side that got introduced to this Spanish tiki-taka football from Guillermo uh, Amor, and Josep Gombau, I guess you do value that style of football a bit more than other result-different markets would. So we have been spoiled, but the good thing is that we do, I guess, as a city, keep our side accountable. Okay, just quickly, quickly, of course. You, there was a lot of criticism at the start of the season. It's transitioned into something quite beautiful now. You don't need to go into detail. Was it worth going through that period to be where you are now? It's always worth going through it. And it's a lot easier when everyone in the league is going through it. Because we've talked about this with Christian before. Halfway of that season, we're like, what are we doing in the top six? Like, we are not playing top six football. But the reality is, many of these clubs are. We, get, or we give credit now to Adelaide United because they have worked on this and they are not shy about it. You know, you are going to go out there and attack. You are going to go out there and try and improve yourself. And that's what we've seen. So it's worth going through it. You know, as an Arsenal fan, as you can see in the background, I've been through a lot of hurt. And right now we're challenging for the league. So it's the destination is always worth the pain. You just need to make sure you are progressing somewhere. And Adelaide United is. I'm not sure about um, the majority of the league, especially the ones outside the bottom six, some of the clubs there. Yeah, and we're going to talk about the um, some of the turgid football that was on offer amongst uh, some of those teams in the bottom six, um, in particular yesterday. Uh, and and I think maybe there's a bit of a Wellington discussion as well to to be had. So uh, let's let's take a quick break. Okay, so I wanted to talk about Wellington because. Um, 
they're on they're on a bit of a slide and there's a lot going on with I guess with it's not like a loss being reported, but there there seems to maybe be something going on with the background with with Ufitale and and now there's the, the Auckland news, of course. So there's a lot of stuff going on in New Zealand space, I guess an Australasian space, if you wanna if you wanna bring that kind of perspective into it with with the A Leagues. Did you know did you know that the A and A Leagues is actually Australasia or Australasian? That is the most Matt Olson thing that's ever come out of your mouth, Christian. Um, yeah, no, I know. I, I, so, I uh, yeah, we're on, we're on the right theme here. Yeah, we are. We are. Um, and apparently that's what it is. So, so there you go. Fact, fact of the week. Um, um, I just want to butt in quickly. That's probably the silliest thing I've ever heard. It, we are in a national league. We're in a league. I understand we have teams from New Zealand. I love the Phoenix just as much as anyone else. But it's stupid to be calling ourselves the Australasian League when. And Matt, you can probably speak more to this, or at least confirm what I'm saying. Not speak more to it because we're obviously trying to talk about the Phoenix and not this, but. There is meant to be an Oceanian professional league coming in 2025. The fact that we're trying to call ourselves an Aust- Australasian league when there is something building under the surface, it's, it's ridiculous. Cody, why did you bring that up? Like, <laughs> I just want you to confirm, do not go on a tangent, please. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that's exactly why. Don't bring that up. Just, just don't. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. Christian, may I take the... I'm going to take the lead on this. I just, just objectively, I'm going to take the lead on this, right? So with the Phoenix, I've been bringing up this Talley stuff for a while now. And I think that, again, there are signs with him that something else is going to go on. Um, there is a max asset of, of players. Someone like Clayton Lewis is Phoenix in and out, and he will be. He he is that club. Someone like Ollie Sale is at the heart of that club. For them to randomly leave at this time, it just, to me, it is a massive red flag for what's coming in the future. Am I to say that, that, that that's the direct reason as to why they've lost 5-1 on Friday night? No, of course not. Um, but the point is more broadly that the club really are in a difficult, uh, are sort of on the horizon of a difficult spot. And a lot of this type of news is quite unnerving for the camp of players that's there, let alone the fact that all of these players that are, are sort of saying that they'll be moving on. I'm just wondering if if there's already like a, a pre-contract situation going on with um with a, a franchised Auckland club already. I'm wondering if that conversation is being had. But um yeah, look, I think you can only go so far as to say that that we've already sort of started to believe that the glamour period for the Phoenix is coming to an end and their results basis, particularly this weekend, are going to be more of a, of a confirmation of that. Um, I think when you look at tactically what they're doing, they're still encouraging a lot of young talent. They're still blooding a lot of the right plays in the right areas and they still have that management. So, you know, there's, there's still the right things in place for the club at the moment, but there's a slow decline coming and you just have to wonder if they're sort of reaching Sydney FC areas to use the direct example in that this stale period seems to be prolonged and it seems to be going on for a while. So you have to ask, where they go to from here. And you also have to wonder, you know, given the news that has occurred during the week, are people already already sort of putting their heads towards, well, this is going on in Auckland and, and that's going to go on in Auckland. And will this actually be beneficial for football in New Zealand? So you want to have that conversation now. Um, well, sorry, we won't be having that conversation now, but um, the conversation that we do need to have is is on the pitch, right? And I think that um, the areas that they've they've sort of, had go in their favour, the likes of Bosnodar Krajev coming out and having a good season, the likes of Jan Sass being brilliant, the likes of Oscar Zavada scoring at a really high rate. Funnily enough, they're all foreign players. So what does it say about the talent that's there now and what does it say about their ability to achieve going forward? 
I mean, I say I say they're on a slide, and that's that's that actually is over exaggerating. It's more that they've had in the past month or so they've had a few results where you just kind of question this isn't really results that a Talley team would have. You know, losing and getting kind of you know comfortably beat in Melbourne against the victory. You know, even losing the Macarthur away when you know that's just and in the manner they did it just kind of didn't feel right. And then to get thrashed like that, um, I mean that's that's. You know, if we tally teams are kind of built on on a defensive foundation and and being tough to beat, I think first and foremost, and then being a bit more expansive and, and building off of that uh, going forward. And there does you mentioned Zawada there. I think they're becoming too reliant on him uh, for goals too. They they need more threats, particularly going into into uh, the finals. I think Kryev Kryev is is a very talented player, and I, and I think he's fantastic. But sooner or later, you do have to like actually put your imprint on games with goals and assists. That's that's what you bring foreigners in for in attacking areas. That's the reality. Same with Jan Sass. I said I said he was he was I think on a recent pod I, I did say, you know, I felt he's starting to come, you know, come on a little bit. He looks a lot better. But if that doesn't eventuate for me for goals and assists and actually like production the final third, well I think we're wasting our time a little bit. Like, you, you know what I mean? I just think, you know, if, when you bring in foreigners and particularly in the final third, they need to contribute with goals and assists. And if it's only going to be Zavada, Wellington, they may be only going to go as far as the elimination final. Yeah, and like Matt mentioned, it's just never good when you're playing out the rest of the season with three of your more important players. You know they're out the door the minute the season finishes. And I wonder how much, uh, how Ufitale is feeling about it because, it wouldn't be very pleasant as a coach to have. And remember, this is coming off the back of him openly applying for the New Zealand job and then that whole business with a Canadian coach being offered the job coming out, which I think it sounded like he took offence to and pulled out from that role. So I wonder how he's feeling about that because I reckon if he got the New Zealand job and was doing the Wellington job at the same time, those work very well together. And I reckon that would have secured his future there too. But now, you know, I don't know. I don't think they are playing terribly. They will obviously play finals because, as I mentioned, if I think Sydney FC is holding on to six. I can't see how they drop out just because I think they'll find some form again and whatever's below them isn't very good. Um, against Adelaide, you know, they gave them a couple of gifts. I think they played all right, but, yeah, it's Adelaide was just very hot towards the end of that game. I do think they'll start picking up results again. They are going through a pretty unlucky patch. But again, are they going to make a big impact in the final? They might make a semi-final, but I can't see them going any further than that. They're obviously in a much better place than Sydney. And I believe that is because the expectations are different to a Sydney. They are feeling in a lot better place because historically they have been the battlers of the league. They happen to be there. They don't have the same expectations. They'll be there to win it all. So it's nice for them to be there, but as Matt mentioned, I would be pretty worried about what is to come next season if the trend of players just walking continues and the coach's future is not really certain. Because one more point, if Corica does end up leaving Sydney FC and Sydney is likely to continue with what's familiar like they tend to do, well, Ufital is very familiar to them and the Graham Arnold system makes sense. Well, I'm going to come straight out with this. Who thinks, if we're reading between the lines, maybe behind the scenes, there could be something here where Sydney move off Corriga, they go in for Tale, and he becomes a new Sydney FC manager? Wouldn't shock me. Yeah, because I, it wouldn't shock me either. I, I, I yeah. opined that 
I opined that, but I'm I'm at the point where with Sydney, I, I sort of hope that is not the case at all. For the fact that you're you're still going with what you're familiar with, and you need to reset the whole the whole program. Honestly, Ulfi Talley has really got himself in a very difficult position because if he if if he if the player's leaving or a sign that he's leaving, does he does he want to basically do the same thing and go into an environment where he's really really comfortable and where the club will rely on him a lot? Or does he just need a few years off? Because because honestly, he's tried he's tried to basically bring the sun and the moon together and cause the bloody eclipse for New Zealand football and for the Phoenix all together at one. And it's just like you know, it just the dream the dream fell apart for him. And I think that's why you're going to see a big decline from that particular club. So why go from one club where you had a lot of aspirations and they went on the decline to a club where they have all the aspirations of you? And they're also on the decline. It doesn't make any sense. Go go yeah. to like Southeast Asia or something. Don't don't do that. Yeah, but I know. Look, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, I think as well, he's for me. I think he's gotten the most that he can out of Wellington, and now I think a natural step for him to, is to go to a big club. Now, you, I guess what you're saying is, does it have to be Sydney FC? But then I also think if he knows the environment well, then he can go in there and ruffle a few feathers. And I think they need feathers ruffled. Is, maybe maybe he needs Sydney, but does Sydney need him? They absolutely don't. But in what sense? That's what I'm saying. In the in the fact that they li- they they will literally be continuing the Graham Arnold era. When did it start? Like, well, I think he's a much better manager than Steve Corrigan. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. Yeah, but but what's what is Corrigan an extenuation of? Like they right. are literally just sticking with the one philosophy and and the extension of that philosophy over and over and over and over and over again. That's not going to get them anywhere. They're not going to become Bling FC again by doing that. How did Mate. this is a conversation about the Knicks anyway? We don't need to go that. No, no, no. I know, I know, I know. But I just I don't totally agree because I just think that Tale has shown a lot more to his Arsenal as a manager than Steve Corriga. I think he's a better manager than Steve Corriga, and I just think that if he went to Sydney FC, he'd be able to you know use that repertoire and that skill to get the best. In particular, I mean, look at you know Sydney FC's foreign recruitment hasn't been hasn't been great. Now I think. You know, I know Lolly and Mac and these guys have had their moments. Again, don't want to talk about them too much, but I do think that Tale has a track record of of understanding foreign recruitment, doing that part well. So from that perspective, if Sydney clearly want to continue down that path, which which seems clear given you know the youth stuff that we spoke about earlier, I think he he would understand that he could get the best out of that. But I'm not necessarily saying that that he is the best option for them. I just don't think it's as I don't feel like it is a massive, you know, continuation of the same thing. I, I don't, I don't think that at all because I think that he he has shown at Wellington that there is more to him than being a disciple of Steve Corrigan or a disciple of, of Graham Arnold. I think if you look at who Tale is as a person, when he took the Wellington Phoenix job, he was, he went there and was like, "I want to build a legacy. I'm not here." To, and I've said this on the pod before. His whole thing was, "I'm not here just to use this as, as a stepping stone." I think his ambitions would probably lie, and look, I could be wrong here, but I think his ambitions would actually lie going overseas, going to a Southeast Asian club. I'd say maybe Europe, if there's a club in Europe that wants to have a look at him, probably not a top five league club, but I think his ambitions would probably lie elsewhere outside of Australia. Yeah, could he could he pull could he pull a Kevin Musket or an Ange? No, Jaylee fantastic. I think it, I think he's doing well. Look, his teams play good football. It's very fluid attacking. He'd suit a country like Japan, like a South Korea, or even maybe a Thailand. He, he, he probably does have ambitions that lie beyond the A-League. So uh, we're talking about him going to Sydney FC. 
we've already said Sydney FC probably don't need it. And we talk about the clubs in the A-League having a manager, letting their, letting their whole philosophy and how the club builds itself based around what that manager does. And then when they leave, they struggle to adapt and move forward. Why would we then say, oh, Sydney FC can go for a coach that's going to be a continuation of not their current manager, but the one before it who hasn't been in the job for a whole lot of years? Yeah, yeah. Look, all all valid points. I just, um, I don't know. I just think if I'm if I'm Sydney FC and I'm looking at this, and I think you know we got to yeah we got to move on. We got to move on from Corriger. Who's the best out there right now? I think Talley comes to mind. But again, you know, we're that's talking from a Sydney perspective, and we're talking, he's the best out there. But will yeah. he be good for the long term future of the club? But I think he would because I think I I, I just think he he did build Wellington over a long term period as well. So I, I do think he's not he's not oh, what he's done with Wellington has been admirable. But like I said, yeah. if you're looking at his personal ambitions, he probably is going overseas. And yeah. the question for Wellington to bring that conversation back, we, we talk all about where Talley's going to go. If Talley does go, where does Wellington go from here? What do they do? Well, can I can I actually just again full circle? I want to go back to them because one of the particular poor points in in Wellington's display on Friday night was Costa Barbarous and. I think one of the biggest problems that you have with the Phoenix at the moment is that they're they're doing they're doing an old adage in sport of creating a boys' club mentality, right? Like you you have your Alex Roofers, you know, you have your Callan Elliotts, your Tim Paynes, all these guys who are becoming one with the system in New Zealand, and it's almost like that them controlling the club. They're just bringing in some of their mates, and I think Costa Costa's probably lost it. He's probably finished. You know, I remember a lot of people saying around the time when he scored in the grand final for Sydney, was it the 2021 grand final? You know, a lot of, a lot of people had that, that sort of, that sort of aura of thought that this is his time that he's kind of finished. The fact that he's gone on to play a few seasons for the Phoenix thereafter. I think this is also another really big part in their downfall as well. Alex Rufa being named captain is another really big part of that. And you'd have to really question from their perspective if that's the mentality that we're bringing to to the table and all of this young talent that we have around us that's sitting there on the bench, they're getting recruited to go up the road to Auckland. I, I genuinely think that this club is about to have a really, really, really difficult spell. You're you're going to go back to the 2017 days of Dario Kalajic if you're not careful, you know what I mean? And you speak to any Phoenix fan, they, are, they have PTSD at the side of that man's name, you know what I mean? So... Yeah, I, I think I think that you're starting to see this. There's there's so many elements at play, and it's easy for us to sit here from an Australian perspective and talk about Uffi because he is Australian, talk about the management side of it, but the inner workings of the squad there, particularly from an on pitch perspective, are really what's of the worry here. And I feel like that's um that's a conversation that we should be having purely out of respect for people in New Zealand who might want to hear us have this conversation instead of us talking about Alfie and CDFC, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, a, a result like that wouldn't happen under, under Talley, as you mentioned, Christian. So with 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 that being being sort of the position they're in now, do, you know, do, do you worry more about their ability to recruit and, and sort of progress from there? You probably would. Yeah, well, I think I think he can't do any more with the current squad as it's as it's currently constructed. I think that's I think that's one thing that's that's evident. And I think as well to Matt's point around you know with the Auckland news, and I think that you know could some of their young talent and be poached. But more the point that now there's two 
there's two breeding grounds for talent in New Zealand. But I think that is a broader point around like Wellington. Look, we know about Libby Kikache. We know about guys like Sam Sutton as well, Sprint Wine. But have they really... And this is this is not a criticism because it's not the same. These these young players don't have the same platform as, as players in Sydney, in Adelaide, in Melbourne do. But they probably haven't... That part of the club hasn't probably produced enough for, for this team to maybe have a higher ceiling than what it does. So I think so I think what it means is that you're relying a lot on guys like your Steven Yugakovich's, um, you know, the Roofers, the Tim Paynes and stuff, but they've only got a certain level of consistency that they can hit on a on a on a weekly basis, you know. And that the reality is that if the foreign guys aren't gonna then contribute uh, you know, week in, week out, and Barbarissus has been a poor signing. Like let's let's not let's not beat around the bush, right? You know, he hasn't he he's he's passed it, I think, as well. There's, there's that too. I think he is on a bit of a decline. And I think sooner rather than later, he's probably going to become a bit of a squad player for, for a lot of A-League clubs. But, you know, they haven't had that, where's the X factor? Where's the, if you want to talk, go back to Adelaide, you know, where's the, the Nesta type, maybe young player who comes off the bench late in the game to, to change things? They don't have that. And I think that's that's one thing that they, you know, that they struggle with. Look at what went right when they recruited Sarpreet Singh. There was there was a lot that was in place from New Zealand football. Sorry, that, that was the one Phoenix that was slipping my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. But but those types of players are they necessarily the guys like Ben Old that are sitting on the bench right now? Look, they they, they probably aren't. So you really have to look at the full picture. And I, I dare say it, you have to wonder why we're expanding into New Zealand. See, I'm, I'm seriously because the, the the whole selling point of the Phoenix is that they've been so heavily engrossed in New Zealand football. Now, there's a negative side to that, as I mentioned. Someone like Costa probably shouldn't be starting because you're, you're only doing it because you're so heavily ingrained in the culture. Um, but you can get like a Des Buckingham or a, a Chris Greenacre type who comes in through the system and probably just rejuvenates everything from day dot. So that's that's the one thing that I, that I would say in that respect. I think well, we asked the question, why are we expanding into Auckland? And I think with a second division coming in, it's basically the APL showing New Zealand, we want you here. It's we are committing to you, and I think yeah, it's going to be it's going to pose some difficulties, especially if someone like Auckland or Wellington does end up in the second division. That opens its own Pandora's box, but I think it is good to keep someone like um, Wellington accountable, as you say, Matt, because then you can't become that club because the other club in your country will take advantage of it. So it will be good to... And the same thing like the new clubs in Australia, like Canberra and the clubs that come in after them, will keep the Australian clubs accountable about playing those guys because if they don't, they're going to sign them and give them opportunities. So, you know, expansion is good. This creates its own problem, though, because once we start the second division... I don't know how it's going to be financially possible for a national second division New Zealand club to make an international trip every second week. Just a final point, which is completely <laughs> despite what I'm talking about. If yeah. we are the Australasian League, invite Bali United over and we can have a good, we can have a good time. Yeah, well, um, if I could add something to Matt's point around some of these young guys, that, that's the thing. Like Ben Old, I felt... Was was it just me or like at the start of the season it was kind of like oh watch out for Ben Old like he's gonna kind of come on leaps and bounds and he'll be like this this he's like the next Sarpreet Singh and it's kind of like well that hasn't happened right um and even guys like you know Oscar Van Hattem like obviously 
obviously Zawada is is the number nine, but he's another one who just springs to mind. Like he hasn't really, you know, he's just kind of hasn't progressed any further than just kind of these limited minutes off the bench. So there, there's 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 something maybe to be said around that. But look, the Wellington are fine. They're not they're not you know they're not like a the disaster or anything. They're definitely not the disaster of Sydney FC, and they're they're going to be still a tricky team to play in the finals. Um, so that was just more of a I guess a you know what's going on there because um there's there's definitely maybe some 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 smoke there uh potentially with with Talley. but moving on um let's let's talk about two games that i mean definitely definitely this first game was rather forgetful um with with the raw beating wesson 1-0 um this is just kind of like this is probably this is a game where we just probably have to just give it two minutes only by by necessity because I just don't think there's really much to add here. I think it just sucks that West United they've actually been kind of on a little mini resurgence. They've gone to Brisbane, who really should be it should be a winnable game. No offense to Brisbane, the way they're playing. You talk about Adelaide um, before being one of the more boring sides to watch at the start of the season. Brisbane probably is still that side, unfortunately. But um, yeah, Western United, if they're if they're serious about making this surgeons into the top six, that needed to be three points. And the fact that it wasn't shows that there is still inconsistency in those bottom six teams. Um, where where do I begin with this? Look, if you're going to put on a simultaneous kickoff, why is this game there? Like, of course, everyone's not going to choose to watch it if it's a simultaneous kickoff. Firstly, this whole narrative around Western United, and again, I'm doing the stubborn thing where I've only had one opinion and I'm keeping that opinion for 26 weeks, but like the, the Western United weren't on a revival. They just happened to get up to seventh because MacArthur, Newcastle, Perth, and everyone else involved was having a downfall. Like, let, let's just let's just cut to the chase. The bottom six have problems. And coming into a game like this, you know, Western United needed to prove their supremacy over a Brisbane side that are pretty much, dare I say, the biggest mess and hopefully the wooden spoons this season. For, for, the, for the players that stepped up for Brisbane, look, um, Lofthouse, you know, great game from him. I, I think he scored the goal. It's sad to say that I don't even remember or know or care, frankly. But, you know, it was actually quite a nice goal by Jay yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Did, Love, did Lofthouse have a goal? That no, he had, he had a disallowed goal. Just moments Disallowed before. goal. So, That's right. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. But more to my point here, I think that the, the positive sign that you can probably say are there from a Brisbane perspective because they won the match, you dare say that some of the young talent around there are going to find a way to stick around wherever they go in their management direction and wherever the club sort of sees itself going forward. Um, obviously, when the owners are in the position that they're in and when you know everything from an administrative perspective is sort of falling apart, you want you want the local talent and you want that system to thrive. It's, it's almost like I dare say that they're going to get a, a coach from Football Queensland. Oh, wait, they had one all along. Um, I, I need to add, I totally agree with Matt. That there's no rejuvenation here with West United. Like, like let's 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 put an end to this right now. Um, that there, there is no, you know, oh, you know, here comes Western. You know, they're going to crash the six. It's like, look, if they finish six, that's great. They're not getting any further than the Mansion final. Um, you know, they they're not consistent enough. Um, they've had what what they have had is this kind of nice little story with Noah Bottich, but outside of that, they're they can't be trusted. They just can't be trusted at all. Uh, and anyone kind of thinking that, you know, that's like, oh, shades of Western, the champions from last year. It's like, no, 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 it isn't. Um, and they are, they are still very much, um, still very much, you know, in in a period where they are having problems off the pitch, of course, as as we as we know, and they are having this kind of 
weird season where they, they've completely had a fall from from where they were last year, yet their manager's had a recent contract extension and he's going to kind of be with them for the next couple of seasons as well. So it's kind of this weird thing um, where, look, if they make the finals, it's, I think it's great for John Aloisi and his kind of standing with the squad going forward. I mean, if they kind of peter out from here and finish finish eighth or ninth, then how's that going to kind of feel from an environment standpoint going to next season? I think it, I think it is a bit of a strange, a really strange team to judge at the moment, but I, I need to interject that there's no revival here, but they are, you know, whether they make the finals or not, they're not ruffling any feathers this year. Let, let's, let's be brutally honest. Look, the fact that there, there was a rejuvenation on the cards. I'm sorry. I, I do think so, but it, like you said, it does come more from the fact that everyone else in the bottom six is just really, really horrible too. And like you said, if they do make the top six good on them, they probably won't go any further than that. I 100% agree with you on that point. But the rejuvenation on the, was on the card, not probably from their own doing, but because everyone else around them was just really, really bad as well. And I think maybe more to the point from how they're, they're playing themselves, the same could be on the cards for your Newcastle Jets and Perth. At the end of the day, Perth, their home record's brilliant. They were looking like, okay, yeah, are they, are they going to push with the sticks? Are they not? Those bottom six teams are kind of pushing for that spot just for the simple fact that none of them are good enough to seal it themselves. I mean, look, <laughs> I'm really sorry to do this to you, Cody, but like Insulting. this is coming this Insulting. is coming from the this is coming from the guy that's been saying that the dub has been having like a really good season and it's been competitive the whole time, right? Like Western Revival, you you gotta be shitting me, man. Like <laughs> like <laughs> well, Look at look at the sides that are above them. Just just to have this conversation, right? Look, look at the sides that are above them. Newcastle have shown better periods. Perth, especially given the home front, home form, have shown better periods. Would you look at them and say that they're this really decent smoky for the elimination final? Why dare say that it's determined on on Weston's behalf? Just because Noah Bodich came out and played really really well. I, mean, I, I never said that. Tony, come, I just on. said that they were on a good run. Maybe they were going to yeah, come yeah back a good for run. Do you, know, do you know who else had good runs? Newcastle and Macarthur and Perth and every other team that's in that in that situation. Like, I know but, I'm really brutal yeah. about this all the time, and I don't mean to be so brutal. It's just I, you always have this really positive spin on things. You like you you have you take all these arguments and you put the positive spin on it. And I just think that as someone who looks at who's been trying to put a really positive spin on Perth season for like 20 weeks now, there just comes a point where you, you sort of have to accept, okay, you, you know what? These, these are the facts. And I think from a from a factual point of view, you know, like Sydney FC, you, you have to you have to say no, no, like that, that something needs to change there. Western United, look, I, I will say this on the the John Aloisi. Um, contract extension. I understand it because the club hasn't had a culture previously, and when they've tried to build a culture, they've tried to build it with Mark Rudan, and then he up and left. They've they've tried to build it, you know, with you. You can of, say sorry, sorry. You can call him Mark Rudan in that case because at the time he was known as Mark. Sure, sure, okay. But they tried to build it with sort of Diamante and and guys like Scott McDonald, where they were already like dinosaurs by the time they joined the club, so they were never going to mold and be the future of the club. So actually having a defined culture with someone who's already a championship winning coach, I can at least say like, yeah, good on you. You're doing that now. You have a youth academy system that's playing in the NPL. You have a women's team that's really productive you, and, and are playing in the West of Melbourne as well. There's there's things at the club there that are sort of clicking into place. So from that perspective, I understand John, John Aloisi, um, you know, re-signing, but I would still say that John Aloisi had <laughs> one lucky season and I actually hasn't been proven to be that good of a manager in the A-League. So, and and I, I genuinely mean that. 
So my my whole thing with Western is like I just I don't know why not still keep looking a bit and just leave it under the fact that you're building and you have the transition because for as long as you're playing out of Amy Park in front of a few thousand people, you're always going to be a club that's in transition and you'll be able to get away with it. So why why sign why sign the long term contract now? Why do it now? There's there's no reason to have switched into gear and done that, especially when the season backfired and everything went so bad. So that's that's the one thing I would say on Western. Cody, um, are you aware that three of Weston's previous four defeats came to the Wanderers, Adelaide, and Wellington? So you, that equates to not a finals team shouldn't be anywhere near the finals. Like they, they, they quite simply, this revival that that everyone keeps mentioning has come against teams around them who are just as inconsistent as they are. So but the reality is, is the the team that comes six out of them is the team that's going to that will play the best against those teams. Cody, 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 just let me ask my original. Cody, that doesn't mean again. that they're a good finals team. That's let what me ask my. I never said they're a good again. finals team. Whoever finishes six is not going to be a good finals team. I pose the one situation that would occur if for a team to come six and actually have, do half decent in the final, and it would take Sydney FC catching their biggest rivals on a bad day. No other situation is going to see a team that comes six go any further than that elimination final. Okay. I'm 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 okay. I'm okay with that from the standpoint of finishing sixth and getting into the finals. But I still do not understand why you think Western deserve to have been in that conversation for just as long. What makes them uniquely different to Arthur Pappas's Newcastle and Rubens Zakovic's Perth? Just answer that question for me and I'll be I'm like, I'm not saying okay, they're yeah, different, yeah, but I'm saying they can be in that similar mold. There's, if they get if they were able to continue on a good run of but games, at what point did you say that Newcastle and Perth were smokies for the six? You didn't. So what made Western smokies for the six? I did I I said that. I no, said, 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 said two different same things. You said they're going to be the smoky for the six. You said they have form and they have this really positive vibe, but then you've also said, no, I want to put them in the same modest Newcastle and Perth. Those are two uniquely different things. Wait, wait what? Don't, uh, I lost track for a sec. I, I, I know you've lost track because your argument was kind of shit in the first place. <laughs> all, all, literally all. You're looking very deep into what was genuinely just a surface-level comment. Western okay. had a few good results. If that continues, why not? Why wouldn't they be able to push for a six? This loss puts a dent in that. So th- yeah. th- there we go. That conversation well, probably is dead and buried. But I was saying, like, they probably okay, were if okay. they were able to continue that, little, that run. So there's... They could have been on that. They could have pushed for the top six. Okay. Um, I think uh, I think we've uh, we've covered that um, that topic enough. Uh, so let's let's move on. Um, uh, because I've got nothing to add with Brisbane uh, at all. Uh, I think they're probably the least talked about team in the league at the moment, and probably for good reason. Oh, well, not not with some aspects, but anyway, let's <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on um, and uh, talk about that Newcastle Perth game because although um, it's not a it's not a result which kind of jumps out in terms of you know the table and, and the big picture it was it was an interesting game uh to to be fair uh, a bit of a four goal thriller ryan williams comes up with a with a late goal trent osler scoring is is nice uh, nice and interesting for sure um but newcastle just cannot defend um and it's as simple as that they can score as many goals as they want they can look as sexy as they want in terms of you know their style but if you can't defend um you know you're not going to make the six and this pappas kind of project isn't really going to get anywhere either they as a club have been working on this one project without the right things in place for 20 odd weeks now. And I don't think Pappas or anyone else at the club has bothered to, to show up and try and show that alternative in that, in that place. So you would have to say that almost from day dot, they've had to sort of rebuild 
from the from the beginning. And I think that as a result of that, um, that's why Newcastle have been where they are. A game like this, though, is, is a pinpoint example of exactly why Newcastle and Perth are at the same in the same position as a club. And it mostly started from the fact that I think that there's too much experience and too much of the same mold of players being involved at either club. A veteran uh, like Ryan Williams, for example, is going to have the same impact going forward as someone. And it's it's uh, it's sort of not uh, the complete example because he's probably more of a mold of that player in years prior. But someone like Jason Hoffman, for example, right? And I think that these clubs were always going to butt heads and these clubs were always going to have that run-in with each other because of the way that uh, that Newcastle had, had intended to set up and, and have been set up for a while. So that those defensive woes were always in existence. And a game like this is a pinpoint example of how and why things can go so wrong. I think I think the reality is that Newcastle need... No, I, I agree. I, I don't think Paps is the problem at all. I actually, you know, I've always kind of, had a bit of a soft spot for him, probably because of the because of the links to Ange and, and this sort of thing, and and also just the way he plays. Look, I go back again. I come very much from a from a way of thinking where it's all for me. It it's a very big part of whether a manager is kind of going the right way or not is the style of football that he plays, and and if that's really going to be successful long term. And I think I think Pappas can be. I think the problem with them is that. They probably just don't have the quality right now for it to really work on a on a on a consistent basis they like they have they have games where they look really good against the top team but then they have games where you know they have dominance but they can't score against against bad teams you know and it's it's just kind of this constant seesaw and this battle with them um so for them they need to figure out though how do we ensure this isn't going to be the same next season because i don't think like it's it's all good to have entertaining football, and when you can have the two seasons, that's great. But once that third season comes around under one manager, I think you need to now start to think about okay, where's this really going? Can we actually make the six? And I think all of Newcastle just does not suit how Arthur Pappas wants to play right now. I love the way he goes about it, but that backline cannot defend. It's simple as. That midfield is not the midfield you are going to use to play the style of football he wants to play. And I think we talked about at the start of the year with his additions, additions like um, Josh Sapirio, for example. It's just not a player you expect an Arthur Pappas team to have. Okay, he's a handy eight-league player, but is he the player that's going to get you to play the football you want to play? Yeah, you'll be entertaining, but you know, you'll be entertaining for other teams to play against as well, which is your problem. And this is why Newcastle find themselves in these conversations, not the ones we were having earlier in the podcast. And I'm actually going to praise uh, Paramount here because uh, credit for them for cutting to Arthur Paps's reaction about like five to ten seconds after Ryan Williams had equalised um, in in uh, in the game. So not bad there. Just get the media reaction of the uh, of the coach. Definitely wasn't pleased. But um, can we talk about Adam Taggart for 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 a second? Because like. I was, you know, I was watching kind of the highlights back of this and just there was one chance there where he missed. And it just kind of made me think like, what's this is really the way this was kind of built up as a signing tag it to kind of Perth and the return and this, that and the other. And uh, look, Matt, I'm sure you're going to chime in here. But for me, I think it's been a it's been a it's been a disaster like, as a signing. I just think it hasn't worked at all. I think you have to understand 
one of two things. One, that the team is fundamentally in a rebuild. Uh, and two, its focal points don't actually lie with there being an out now number nine. And let me reiterate this uh, again. Adam Taggart is not necessarily there to bag a bunch of goals and get back into the Socceroos. I think he's there for other more sentimental reasons. Uh, he's at the point in his career where he's happy to play in the A-League and he's happy to settle with what's available to him. And if you were, if you were to personally speak to him and ask him how his time has been since he's rejoined Perth, he's probably going to tell you on a surface level that he's enjoyed it. What the responsibility then becomes is, if you're Ruben Zankovic, how do you mould the team better so that his input can be significantly better going forward? And I think if you look at the, the focal points that have been provided from someone like David Williams, who's more of a traditional winger, who has actually been able to score those goals, why has he been gelling so well with someone like Keegan Jelicic? Why has he been able to mould so well in a team that going forward, he's, he's eye to eye with it all and knows what's going on? It's because he fundamentally understands what the players themselves that are in support of him have been trying to do the whole time. Someone like Adam Taggart, it's on another universe to him at times. And you can kind of understand where that comes from. So, yeah, other than the, the victory game where he scored two goals, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that it's been a disaster, but it's clear to me that he's he's expected one thing and it's been a little bit different for him. But, again, that just comes from the, from the, from the, the, the point of view that the signing – was always on an emotional level something different to what it always promised to be. I don't think Adam Taggart signed that contract going, oh, yeah, I know Keegan and I know Musty and I know, you know, Zach Duncan, some of these guys in the team that will actually be supporting you. I don't think that was Adam Taggart's intention when he signed to be that player. Um, he just happened to have that one really good game when he came back. He happened to eat up all the vibes. He loved playing at Masso Park. They all did, to be fair. But I think what what you expect from him um, I, th I think everyone's expect expectations of it were, were just too high to begin with. I, th I think his his role is going to have to mold into something different or become molded by something that comes in the future. It's uh, I think it's a two three year contract, and just on that, many of the guys around the setup have actually signed on for multi year contracts, so they actually do believe in a Ribbon Zakovich rebuild. Ryan Williams, for example, he's there for three years. He is going to be playing well into his thirties for for the club as a Western Australian player. Adam Taggart is planning on doing the same, so you can see signs of where the rebuild is coming and. Was, was Ruben Zankovic right all along that there was a rebuild? I mean, I understand that there's a lot of veterans in the team and a lot of veterans making up that rebuild, but there's a reason why steps aren't working right now and the whole process isn't glued in together. Right? I just think it's taken far too long for anyone at Perth Glory to sort of realise that. Just quickly, Christian, before I segue back to you or whoever else is willing to speak, um, Trent Osler. Trent Osler's journey is, is, um, is actually quite an intriguing one. He, he first signed with Perth Glory six years ago, um, and he has been in and out of the senior team and the MPL team, and he's been biding his time all the way through the system in WA. And then after Anthony Gilroy wasn't able to start the season fit and had some injury problems under Richard Garcia, the door opened again for Trent to come in. Trent made his first senior appearances like Trent made his first senior appearance like four or five years ago for, for Perth Glory. He's just really stuck it out. For him to now be playing, for him to now be scoring and to have more of that sort of Burt Gilroy-esque role to the point where they prefer playing him in the team over someone like Burt Gilroy, who, if if any, anyone's forgetting for a wooden spoon team, he was fucking incredible in 21-22. So for, for Trent to be in place of Anthony, I think it's actually a really big rap on him and, and a really, really big emotional personal story about resilience. Yeah. Um, and I think, look, I, I agree. I, 
when when Zakovich in preseason, I know he's talking about when he when he talked about the rebuild stuff. I mean, I, I was I totally agree with it. I don't know why if anyone I, look, I understand what maybe some Perth fans maybe would have objected to that and stuff because they want to be successful straight away. I get it, but you know the the club's coming from a spot under Garcia there where they were you know kind of a bit of a basket case. Like let's let's be honest, they they weren't they weren't really going anywhere. Um, and now they've got a sense of direction. And and you're right, you, you know, you do make a good point there around like the multi-year contracts and this sort of thing. Um, and if I could go back on my target stuff, I guess, I guess you could say he did sign late in the season. There's that too, to be honest. Um, and, you know, maybe he hasn't had the time to develop those relationships. But look, if you're right, look, if you're right and he's going to stay long-term and he's going to be there and he's going to this, that and the other, then it can work out. But all I'm going to say is I have to see it first. I have to see it first because, um, you know, you do want, yeah, of course you want the player to enjoy his time there, but, you know, Perth aren't looking at it as, oh, we just brought you back because, you know, you won your homecoming. Well, no, you know, you need to score goals and perform as well. So um, there, there's there's obviously that aspect. Um, there's that aspect to it as well. All right. Um, I'm mindful of the time that we've been talking on this podcast. So let's quickly uh, talk about MacArthur and Melbourne City. One will draw. Um Melbourne City, what do we what do we think? Is there some issues here? Could they are they still everyone's kind of outright, you know, outright favorite for the championship and and it's still Adelaide Wanderers uh uh you know close behind, or does anyone think it's changed? Look, there's definitely pressure on them now, but we said it earlier in the podcast, they are a juggernaut team. I think they're just in a bit of a blip of form. Well, um Tilio said after the game, they'll probably just use his international break, reset. Obviously, Tilio won't be with them over the international break. He'll be busy putting the green and gold back on. But I think they probably just need a bit of a refresher. They'll come back out next week. I can't see this side not finishing first. I'd be very surprised if they didn't. But, yeah, look, there's definitely more pressure on them now. But, yeah, like we said before, they're a juggernaut team. They will most likely still finish um, with the Premiership. I agree that they probably finish first. But, again, the season gets decided in the finals. And... Last season, it didn't go their way on the final day. I do think they they still control games as they would. They are the juggernaut that we say they are for a reason. They're a very good team. But I feel since Matt Leckie has, um, I guess, been injured and hasn't been in the side, they've gone a lot more, I guess, indecisive around goals. I felt that at some point of the season, he had actually overtaken Craig Goodwin as the Johnny Warren medalist favourite. And, yeah, ever since he's been unavailable, it's really affected them. And, you know, Marco Tilio is not a bad option to have. Andrew Naboot isn't. But Matthew Leckie was in some real special form that even there were rumours that um, his normal may pick him up in France. So he was in some very special form. And I think his absence has left a hole there that has to be filled by some very good players. But I don't know if they've got that level in them right now to provide what he was providing for them. So I do think they finished first. But again, come finals time, it's a different game. And if they come across to Adelaide, whenever that may be, they have problems against Adelaide. So it will be very, very interesting to see how that plays out, especially now with Adelaide having a much deeper bench, which is what let them down last year. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. That was I was just about to say that is that Adelaide caused Melbourne City issues, and last year they could have easily got through in in that in that two legged tie as well. But um, they do seem to do well against Western Western uh, against the Wanderers. So um, there's 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 some there's some I guess solace that they can take from that. But 
Look, I don't think I think people probably do need to calm down a little bit with this. Like, you know, they've been such a juggernaut. You you're gonna have you are gonna have a few weeks where, you know, things aren't going right in terms of chance creation and finishing. You know, not every team can just create, you know, eight kind of chances every week and and look kind of, you know, stylistically great uh every week. That that just doesn't kind of happen just just in general. To be honest, worldwide, I mean, one team would probably be like Man City, but that's you know outside of that, who really does it on a consistent basis? So I think it's I think it's a little bit I think it's a little bit um, a little bit overdone. But um, I think that as well is that there's maybe a little bit of have they changed kind of under Rado and stuff? I mean, look, they, they were always going to change a little bit, right? You know, you're not going to like he can't coach the exact same way as Patrick Isnorbo, so there was always going to be a slight change. I don't think though right now right now anyway that there's any kind of cause for concern in terms of is this team championship material or anything like that they, they, they obviously are still the favorite in my opinion um but i do think that the gap that we first thought definitely i mean if you go back and listen to the pods like two months ago i think we were very much a consensus that how is this team not going to basically potentially walk to a championship here but now i think that that gap is very much closed I think that there's two things I just want to say. Uh, firstly, we we actually witnessed a very, very bizarre game tonight, um, first and foremost. But I think that with regards to where Melbourne City are at, um, you need to sort of look back on this and understand that they, they well and truly dominated the game. They had as much as 81% possession at periods of this game. And I think that just because the form is just a slight bit off, it might be more of an adjustment to the Vitasic era of management. I think that makes it more of a long-term question and more of a long-term problem than it does anything in the immediate. Anything about final slip-ups and things like that, I just think it's a a very crass over-exaggeration to the situation. But also, there's an old adage that champion sides play bad and find a way to win. You play that match tonight 100 times over, City find that second goal most of those occasions because they were dominating that much and they had that much of a say on the game. I just feel like this rhetoric is just so overblown, to, to, to be honest. Like, yeah, I just, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's particularly like massively prevalent. I just saw some stuff today, just kind of scrolling through Twitter and stuff, and even just a lot of kind of, um, you know, oh, they're kind of just passing for passing sake and this one, yeah. And look, to an extent, it's true. Like Matt, look, you're right. You did say they dominate, but I mean, they did have 24 shots and only three of them were on target, so it was kind of very possession for possession sake. That is true, but I mean. At the end of the day, there's there's chances at the end there that could have had a penalty, which I thought was you know I, I had no problem with that decision uh, from from the VAR. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's probably it's there's also like this this mentality where when a team is so dominant and they're doing so well every week, once they hit a couple bad weeks, everything just gets kind of overblown because it's like oh well, hang on, you know this team's supposed to be winning every week. Well, I mean. Gee, you know, we don't have a lot of teams in the A League that are, you know, supposed to be winning every week at the moment, right? So, um, it's they're fine, they're fine, uh, they're absolutely fine, and I think, you know, that I'd still definitely tip them to to finish top. Uh, and to be honest, I think, look, and and maybe Adelaide and Wanderers fans will uh, will have a goal me for this, whatever. But I do think they deserve the Premiership based on based on the whole season's uh, body of work as well. Uh, so. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's really no massive debate around this, and anyone kind of suggesting that, you know, you know that, that any Adelaide of the Wanderers have kind of overtaken them or anything, I think that's definitely looking way too far into things uh, for sure. But anyway, let's uh, let's take another quick break, and uh, and then when we come back, we're going to finish talking about uh, the Melbourne victory. 
So uh, Melbourne Victory won. Um, so so good on them. Uh, they beat the Mariners 2-0. Um, but, you know, maybe a little bit too little too late, um, you know, to, to start to start winning some games. But, uh, I mean, it's a, you know, it's, it's a nice day out. That's what it is. It's a nice day out for all the Victory faithful. That's, that's what that win was, I think, against the Mariners uh, today. It's it's a shining little bit of hope that well not even hope because there's no hope that they're going to make the finals. It's 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 a shining light on what has been quite a poor season by their standards, considering the expectation. I had them to finish first. I thought they were going to sweep the competition, and so for it to go the way it did, definitely a disappointment. But yeah, look, nice nice win today. It, it does come against a side that doesn't really like to play in Victoria, I guess, or Melbourne more specifically, I guess. So. How much you can take out of that, I don't know. But a good day for Melbourne Victory fans in the grand scheme of things for this season. Yeah, I actually shared this earlier this week, but that is now. Uh, let me let me quickly bring it up um, with the Mariners' record in Victoria. Yeah, that's now twenty eight games in a row where they've been winless in Victoria. I mean, that is. That is terrible. Like, is that, that in Victoria or just Melbourne specifically? No, in Victoria. In Victoria. So even when they go to Ballarat or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I'd assume that's what that um that's what that uh that's that takes wow, into account. I mean, that is, cra- that is that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. That is awful. Uh, March twenty fourteen uh was the last time that they won in Victoria. Um, so these are the sorts of things. There's almost like checkpoints, and for the Mariners who have been on a little bit of you know, that they've been on a little bit of a slide as well, similar to kind of what we saying about Wellington earlier. And when you can't kind of tick off these checkpoints in the season either and show that sign of progression, it's a little bit worrying as well. I think the wheels are falling off there as well. And I could, look, I know that they've been a great story. We, we've spoken about them. You know, Montgomery's done a great job. They've got a lot of young players, but I can't really see how, where their pathway is, same as Wellington, to kind of get past, you know, the first round of finals, the first week, unless... Of course, the two play each other. There's that option as well. But I mean, to lose to a team who, I mean, victory is so dead at the moment. Like, let's let's, let's be honest. You know, it's it's kind of no one, no one's even like. There's probably the least interested anyone's been in Melbourne victory, just even league wide outside of Victoria at the moment. Like, it, no one really cares. Uh, even victory supporters, to an extent, like there's the the, the attendances are way down. Uh, and for the Mariners to kind of go there and just get pushed aside like that was just really kind of ah uh, okay. You know, where, where's this sort of headed headed long term? But I just think, uh, yeah, it's it's a really poor defeat. Um, I think you have to consider the situation they're in. It is a nice victory for them, but these players should be desperate. If they're not, they should be desperate right now because who knows what next year holds? Will Popovich be there? If he is, who is he keeping on board? Who is he done with? You're playing for your contract next year. The fan apathy, okay, a lot of it's the performance, but a lot of it is because of how the events played out. I know of many people who have not returned to the stadiums because of what's happened over there. So that's a lot deeper there. It is a nice win for victory, but, you know, wins like this just, I wouldn't even say the paper over cracks. They are a band-aid on a very big crack. It's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. It is a bit of positivity on a shocking season happy for them to have it but yeah it's it doesn't move the needle whatsoever mariners i think they'll be okay like you said they've been on a bit of a slide but they do have plenty of time to arrest that and get back into some form heading into finals i do think with someone like nick montgomery in charge i reckon that turns around the next few weeks 
But again, you know, they're the ones, they're the side. They didn't look like it today, but they're the side that's had the very positive season and they've had it for a reason. They've got some very good players who I think this week off will really benefit. Well, you hope so, because I mean, like Cummings has been kind of non-existent for quite a while, to be honest. Um, there's that too. Silvera, where's his form kind of gone? There's there's that as well. I mean, the only one who's now starting games, which is great to see, is, is Theo Harris. Nice to see that the Mariners uh, reward young players uh, with, with starts. Um, but... You know, it's, yeah, I'd just be a little bit concerned there if I'm a Mariners fan for sure um, with that. Um, with victory, if they could take one thing from this, I think Bruno Fortaroli has actually sneakily been a good signing. You know, like let's let, let's be honest. I know, I know, look, I understand the circumstances and stuff like that, but you can only judge for what you see. And and we know he's been successful on the Popovich before, but I do think he's actually been, he's, he's done a good job uh, since he's moved there. And, you know, it hasn't, you know, move the needle in terms of them competing for a championship. Um, but I think that, um, you know, Victory can be happy with at least that bit of business because, I mean, look at all the other ones. Look, don't get me wrong. I know Romero scored today. He obviously got sent off as well. But, you know, that's that hasn't worked as a signing, let's be honest. Kamal, who, who I thought was kind of going to be featured a little bit more, he hasn't really worked out as a signing um, either. And you know, he wasn't he wasn't even in the squad today. Uh there's that too. I mean, there's maybe Damien De Silva's been okay, but look, you know, that they, they can take, I guess, some solace from the fact that Fornaroli's been been good. Yeah, look, I think with Fornaroli, you look, you can only be as good as what's going on around you as well. We've got to take that into consideration. And things for the most part of victory just simply haven't been good enough. So I think the judging based on like if you're comparing him compared to how he settles into other clubs, it, it's chalk and cheese. It's not it, you can't compare it, it's not the same. But for the situation he's in, you can you can in a way say he's done a good job today. I thought he played pretty good today. Finish was fantastic. I think that's something that should be pointed out on its own. But um, yeah, look, I think if you're looking at how what he's been able to do for this victory side, it's definitely a lot more than what anyone else is doing at the moment in a way, I guess. And I just want to talk about the signings that you brought up, Christian. I just don't really understand what the end game is there. Like, you're the worst team in the competition and you're just adding some players to do what exactly? Are you? Do you think you're going to play finals? Do you think you're going to do something? This is your opportunity. This league does not punish you for being garbage. Ask the Central Coast. The Central Coast stunk Australia, Australasia, sorry, stunk Australasia out for the better part of a decade. And look at them now. They were just one year, they decided, you know what, we're going to get our, you know what, together, we're going to be half decent again. You know, you are not punished for being off. So why not actually try something different? Try play a kid. And who knows? Last time they played a kid, you know, for example, Theo Harris looked all right. They've got a fee for him from Europe. You know, play some kids, see what you've got there. And then you can make the signings in the offseason and see what you've got there. And maybe one or two young players will impress and will show you, you know what? I deserve to play. And who knows? These victory fans, I feel so apathetic about the club now. They might see some of their own young players come through and feel inspired to get to the stadium and support their team again. I just feel it's a bit of a missed opportunity. Like, okay, you get three points against the Central Coast Mariners. You'll forget about that next season. These players you'll remember forever. Antonis, um, look, I think that there's, there's, a, there's a statement I want to make on this first and foremost, not so a theory. Um, Christian, when you referred earlier to Sydney FC's problems with um, James Donachy and the and signings of that elk being in the team, you can see a similar dynamic going on with Melbourne. Someone like Connor Chapman just randomly showing up in the midfield. 
very questionable decision. And you, you really have to wonder if that's something that a club of that caliber, what are they aiming for by having that, that kind of signing in the team? Another thing that I would say is, and this is really pertinent, when you go back to the disaster that they had under Marco Kurz and Grant Brebner, it was actually a really big development drive and a lot of young players that were coming through the mould, but they all sort of came through together and they all really had an awful period together. I remember a friend of mine sending me a screenshot of the starting 11 for one of the games they had during that era. And it was just like, that is by far and away the worst victory team I've ever seen. A similar kind of vibe with, um, you know, the Warden Smooters last year in Perth. They just randomly showed up with all these NPL kids and you, you had to ask the question of what you were doing. I'm wondering if there's if there's a natural philosophy to put a, an, a bang average signing ahead of a young player because there's a bit of PTSD around, you know, when they had those young players in the team at the time and what that was like. And um, and if that's something that Victory as a club are really struggling to gel and understand, and also the the the, the genuine fear that the club has that they've had Tony Popovich in as this Mister Fix It guy, because he was Mister Fix It at Perth, because he led the Wanderers to this incredible run. It it really hasn't gone to plan, and because of that, they don't know where their next step is to go. They don't know what can help the situation. I mean, someone like Chris Economides, I'm sitting there watching Chris Economides thinking, you've you were an absolute bowler for Tony Popovich for many years. Why can't you recreate this? Why can't you find that spark again? And it's just because the club seemed totally lost in in every which direction. And I mean that solely on the pitch. I am talking exclusively on the pitch, let alone the mess that's going on off it. So there's a lot to ponder at victory, really. And it makes you sort of understand why they're in the the situation that they're in. And I absolutely agree. I think they have been scared off by playing uh, for playing those kids because of those awful sides. But what you don't understand, what they don't understand is. You can't just get your MPL side, put an A-League in and say congratulations to your A-League players. The sides that do this well have a very strong foundation of experienced players with these young players sprinkled around them because that's how they learn. Okay? Look at Adelaide. You've got Craig Goodwin. You've got Isaias. You had Juande when he was fit. You have Ben Halloran. Okay? You have these experienced players there. That's the whole concept. You can't just throw in the kids there because then you start the development themselves because then every time they go to Amy Park, what do they remember? Oh, this is where we copped seven twice against, uh, six once against Melbourne City and seven the weather a couple of months after. So you need to be responsible with how you do it is my point. Now with Tony Popovich, I feel like this is the same case as when he was at the Wanderers. He is your identity. They were blessed, I guess. They got Ant Postacoglu, then they had... Kevin Musker for a while. That's their identity. You guys, you bring Marco Curtin. Who are you? What are you doing here? We don't do things that way here. And yeah, the rest is history. Now, Tony Popovich comes in, very strong culture. He walks out the door. Everything walks out with him the minute he walks out. You need to create a club. A co- you select a coach based on that criteria and the coach plugs into what you have. You can't just bring in a coach every couple of years and say, all right, can you rebuild this whole business for us? Because this is what was happening in Adelaide for a while. We had a coach every couple of years. Then we had a complete transformation of who we were every two years. I am confident that if Carl Veard was to step down anytime soon, the club has a semblance of what it stands for. And he could look for a coach that would honour the way the club is run and those values. I don't feel the same way for Melbourne Victory right now. Well, it's almost as if Victory 
off the pitch with how they've been setting, uh, putting out, sorry, fires all the time. And it's almost like actually that's what they've tried to do in January with the same thing. And it's even more stupid because they should have just realized two months ago that they're not in this at all. Like, you know, and that's, that's, well, we're all, we're all agreeing here on the, on the same thing. And more to the point, like, why isn't, I'm going to just bring up the same sorts of things just with different names, to be honest, as a Sydney conversation. And that's that. Why isn't like William Wilson getting game time? Why isn't, I mean, Nishan Valupale actually started to show some signs that he could be decent for them. And then all of a sudden he's back on the bench. Uh, and and that sort of stuff. Like what I'm saying is if Tony Popovich is in there right now and he's treating this as if I've got to pick the best starting 11 each week and we've got to get wins and stuff like just cut the shit. It's not happening. Right. You know, and that, that that's just a waste of time. It's wasting everyone's time. Um, and you know, Antonis is right. What he said before today, look, it's a great result. You know, that, that, that done well, but at the end of the day, it's, it's forgetful. What would be memorable is, Hey, you know, William Wilson played today and he got an assist or something. And, and now next week he's going to go on with more confidence. That's just one example, but you know, you're right. And <laughs> Matt mentioned before, I kind of laughed a little bit, but like, you're right about like these signings, like Connor Chapman, like with all due respect, you know, why is he starting from Melbourne victory in that midfield? You know, he's, 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 he's probably not good enough to play for a, for a, for a club of that stature. I mean, even some other guys, which they've kind of, you know, Jason Garrier, like, you know, he's, I know he wasn't a signing, but he's just been there for a while and it's kind of like, are you sure there's not someone else who could fill that void? Josh Berlante's had one of the more bizarre kind of drops off in sort of form over the last couple of years as, a, as an A-League player and and is kind of seriously declining as well. So, um, yeah, victory, look, I don't really have any advice for victory fans. I don't really know how you, how you kind of sit through this last little period of the season and it feels very similar to go back to what Matt was saying, it seems very similar to those kind of Brebner Kurt seasons where by the end of it, it's just kind of like, okay, well, what are we doing? Like we're just kind of seeing out the season and and it's all apathy and and it's all this sort of thing. But it's even worse this time because of what's happened off the pitch. We know that. Um, but you know, let, let's see what they do. I mean, if basically if they're just gonna kind of turn over things in the summer and there's obviously an ownership situation, we understand that, but if they're just kind of turn over the squad and just you know bleed their whole budget on another whole bunch of visa players and do this all again and it's and it fails again i mean the sense of anger amongst the fan base towards that club is going to reach like a serious boiling point and i think right now it's not anger it's apathy and you know angry voice but it'll it'll reach anger as well like no, no, it, but no for me like apathy is worse than anger angry mm, voices mm. will hurt you for those 90 minutes you're there, what hurts the club even more is silence. People don't care. People, you can do whatever you want, we don't care. And I feel, for, not just for football reasons, for outside of football reasons, it's getting to that point of Melbourne victory. And I'd love to see how they overturn that because I think the league needs it. And honestly, I don't have an answer for it. So it's just escape the apathy. Yeah, totally agree. There's definitely more questions around that club than uh, than answers at the moment, for sure. Um, all right, boys. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the chat. Um, as usual, we went way over 
probably what was uh, probably what was planned. Um, but like like I said, actually last week, if you listen to the pod, um, and uh, I'm aware, you know, I hope that we're getting uh, you know some more people engaged uh, with our conversation. So let us know, let us know uh, what what you think. I guess about uh, about what we said. You know, leave a comment on social media post that you access this uh, access the podcast on. Um, and yeah, we'll take it on board. If you got any questions or anything that you want us to kind of answer in the next podcast as well, let us know. Open to that too. Um, so so yeah. Uh, anything uh, anything you boys wanted to plug shout out anything uh, before before we go? Um, I actually have a question for you, Christian. Uh, Playford City screen out of ten. Playford City screen out of ten is eleven out of ten. But but it leaves you with um some some interesting trips the next morning to uh to the toilet. Let me just put it that way. So, I saw the photo that you posted. That look that, that that seems worth it. It it absolutely was. Um and uh, Antonis actually took that photo. So um yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give him, I'll give him the I'll give him the public credit for that. because uh, because apparently he was mad that I didn't do it on the uh, uh on the post. I'm mad that uh Scram didn't give you credit. So thoughts with you footy scram doesn't give anyone credit though that they just uh, literally just take the item and just like yeah this this is it's like thanks guys um but <laughs> you know also playford just just quietly uh you know just great kind of setup there really enjoyed that really enjoyed that and, and good uh, win against south yeah that's right um burger was elite chips were like kind of like kfc which was great kind of really salty as well um probably a little bit too much salt if i'm being totally honest and then just like one big fuck off chicken tender um which was like huge um so it was advertised yeah. as three and it was just one big i know i know so so yeah a separate point go socceroism with a seven south australianism very happy <laughs> yeah uh will yeah matt matt just quickly on plugs i may have um a very very big feature coming up in the international brain but i can't reveal much more than that all right, all right. So stay, stay tuned, stay tuned uh, for that. Speaking of international break, we'll um we'll be back on this feed um to to talk a little bit about uh, about Socceroos um and uh, and their games against Ecuador next week. Don't so, cry, Matt. Don't cry. It's just the Socceroos. Don't cry. That, that that's right. That's right. Uh, don't cry. Um. So yeah, we'll be back to preview to preview uh the those games against Ecuador, and then we'll probably be back again to review those games. So yeah, uh, a lot a lot of soccer stuff coming up. So so stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. You know the deal. Twitter, Instagram, front PG football. Facebook, front page football. Frontpagefootball.net. That's the website. TikTok, check it out as well. LinkedIn, if you feel like following us on there too. I think I've plugged everything there. So yeah, stay tuned. Uh, of course, for all the all the articles on the website. Uh, coming up this week we'll have a preview we'll have a preview uh, of the Ecuador side of things coming up as well uh, for the site uh, too all right uh, that'll do it that's on the podcast and uh, yeah see you uh, see you next week